Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, another loaded show as our SEC Media Days Rewind continues. We're talking Arkansas, Bama, Kentucky, Florida. Loaded, loaded show. Again, Cousin Shane's off, but he's on all these interviews. And we got Sam Pittman. Exclusive. K.J. Jefferson. Exclusive. We got Ty Richardson, John Neighbors, Pat Smith, Nick Roush, Adam Luckett, Zach Goodall, Matt Hayes, Clark Brooks, SEC StatCat. Let's get into the action here. It's going to be another jumbo show. I, I hope y'all are, um, some of you are driving across the country or something if you need <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll make it one side and back before uh, all these episodes, all this content from this week is over. But so let's just get right into it. Our favorite coach in the SEC, Sam Pittman, was kind enough to give us a one-on-one, and you know, just a little behind the scenes. They don't really tell you they're, you're getting them. They come by the booth and say, "Hey, you ready for Sam Pittman?" We say, "We say you bet your ass we're ready for Sam Pittman." So he sits down and we go. That's how it was here, uh, and for K.J. Jefferson. I mean, it was back-to-back, and this was an honor. So let's kick it over to Sam Pittman first. Arkansas Razorbacks. How's it going, Coach? I'm doing good, buddy. It's good to see you. It's good seeing you, Coach. Good to see you, Cousin <laughs> Shane. I got to ask you, before we get started. Hit me. 2000, you're at Mizzou, offensive line coach. Yeah. There is a 5'11 left guard in Jefferson County, East Tennessee, you know, big heart. Yeah. Do you have any sleepless nights I do. for not recruiting him? I do. Uh, <laughs> one of the worst mistakes I've made, but I I didn't recruit you because I knew he was getting ready to get fired and I wouldn't do it. <laughs> we we tried we asked we asked the SEC if transfer we could, portal wasn't what it was and I didn't well, exactly. well, We asked the SEC if we could give you a course they denied us they said there's no chance in hell you'd come over here if we gave you a course otherwise we would have been a little bit more prepared i i just think that i mean we're not going back to practice or anything <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, i'm not flying the plane <laughs> you know, we our good buddy you know him rusty manzel yeah i love it he speaks so highly of you yeah and he has told us i don't know if this is off the record or not i don't know but he tells us that there's a lot of confidence in Fayetteville, this quiet confidence. Yeah. Is that how you like it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we were all disappointed in what went down last year. You know, had a team we – you know, we lost four games by nine points. Um, that's on uh, – the. that's on me. I've got to do a better job. I've got – we've got to be better in situations, all those type things. But – yeah, there's confidence, and I like it because it's uh, it's a little bit about we've gotten back to, you know, we got maybe maybe we got too high on nine wins. Maybe we got too high on beating LSU and A&M and all that the year before. Uh, but we're back down to earth right now, and that's, that's exactly where I like it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, 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 you bring three tremendous athletes with you here, and I, I would venture to say when we talk about leadership – in programs, Arkansas is always one of the first ones to pop up Thank here. You. But 
how do you kind of mold that? How do you identify that leadership in your locker room? You know, because I know each season's different. Yeah. And, and this season's going to be different than last year. The leadership that's coming in this season, do you notice something a little bit different? Well, I think it's about who you recruit. Yeah. I think that has something to do with the leaders will really identify themselves. Uh, leaders identify themselves by work ethic. Yeah. Um, you know, you've really never seen a guy talk his way up um, the leadership ladder. If he was about talking, then he fell down the ladder pretty fast. It's about work ethic, loyalty, trust, and pretty much the players push those guys out in front as captains and all that before we ever even yeah. before we ever say anything to them. To be honest with you, I got you. Last year you had two great coordinators. Now you got two different yeah. coordinators, but both great in their own right. Yeah. What do they bring that uh, that Arkansas was? You know, I don't want to say missing because yeah. I think that's disrespectful to yeah, the two guys right, you right, had. Right. But it's but it's definitely going to be different this year. Well, I think on defense, I think we finally recruited. And it's, I'm not saying – I mean, Barry Odom, great defense yeah. coordinator. But we finally recruited to be able to play man-to-man um, -man coverage, four-down line, get after people a little bit more. So that that's changed. So I knew we would do that. I went out to get Travis Williams because I mean, he ran more zero blitz than I, than I was comfortable. But uh, that on that. The other side of it, I needed a guy to develop KJ. And uh, I thought Dan Enos was as good a quarterback coach as there is in the country. And uh, obviously I'd worked with him in 15. We're one of well, set records on offense, all that kind of stuff. And I knew that our personnel, I knew, our personnel would fit him to a T. And uh, so I'm excited to see what he does. How, how was that handoff? Did uh, When he comes in, the first thing, Enos, I would imagine, they, KJ, you sitting there and just kind of explaining, you know, what we envision as a Razorback offense. Is that kind of how that went? or Dan called him, you know, and, and one of the first guys he saw one, went to talk to him. They – I think they went out to eat or something like that and just had a set down, you know, an amazing. But I think Dan was recruiting him, you know, and and certainly I had talked to KJ about how great Dan was, who he'd coached, who he'd developed. And uh, I think some people outside of our family called KJ. Not We didn't have him and tell him, hey, this guy's good. He's good at developing quarterbacks. He's good at – Basically, all that is trying to get a trust factor. Right. Just like you do with your whole team, whole coaching staff. And it worked. Yeah. And then KJ's ability to come in on his own and look at tape and start learning the offense and doing things like that, uh, it grew and grew and grew uh, until where it was almost addictive to him. That's right. that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Is it? still surreal that you're the head coach yes. of Arkansas and you're going to the events like this I mean you were regarded as arguably the best offensive line coach in the country but it's so rare for even a, a offensive line coach to, to get a job like Arkansas and not just get it but run with it and yeah. win all these games uh, yeah that's got to be surreal unbelievable uh, so thankful for it so grateful uh, I give Kyle a hard time but uh, 
to come here and talk to y'all mm-hmm. uh, is an honor and a thrill of mine because I see your podcast and I see I don't have a chance to see them all and all that, but you're very good at what you do and I have high respect for you but for me to have an opportunity to talk to you it's a big deal uh, so for for the nation to think what you have to say is important big deal and uh, every day I'm honored to be the head coach at Arkansas and I I truly truly am and and uh Hopefully this year we do a little bit better for the state. You know, can you believe they, they put our ugly faces on Arkansas news? The other day we said KJ was the best quarterback in the SEC. These two idiots made the news in Arkansas. Oh, I mean, that's that awesome. Right. Yeah. And How we didn't do anything illegal. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you, man. Good for you. Well, again, Coach, thank you for man, your time. I know you've had a busy day. Good to see you, buddy. Thank Truly you. Truly an honor. I'm proud of you guys. Thank you guys you. are doing great, man. Thank doing you doing so good. Much. Have a good day. All right, so there it is from Sam Pittman. And actually, it was KJ that we got before. That's why we were making some uh, Sam Pittman jokes. So let's kick it over to our exclusive interview with the best quarterback in the SEC, KJ Jefferson. We're here. We're pleased to be joined by the number one quarterback in the SEC, <laughs> KJ Jefferson. That's why are you laughing. That's not a joke. No, we, it's we've been saying it for truth. two or three years. <laughs> we've been getting some we've been getting some hate mail for this, but we, we think that you are the best quarterback in the SEC and it's a true honor to have you at our table. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You ever think about if you have a great year, they're bringing back the NCAA football video game. Mm-hmm. You could be on the cover of that. I mean, is that something you ever think about? You want to be on the cover of the new NCAA football game? Uh, I would love to be on the cover, but uh actually um one of my teammates actually said the same thing. Like he was like, "You come back, you know, you can be on the cover." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. That's a lot, though. That's asking for a lot." But yeah, I mean, if it, yeah, I love to be on the cover of NCAA. Yeah, sure. And I've heard a rumor that uh, you lift weights. Is that true? I do a little something. I do a little. I, I do a little something. I do a little something. I toss a little weights around. I do a little something. Oh, hey, if they were coming out with the rating, though, I mean, because that's one of the things that you talk about in Madden. You know, yeah. you want to see what your rating's going to be. What do you think your rating should be on that NCAA game? Uh, overall, my overall rating, yeah. I feel like my overall rating should be like uh, about an 80, 85, somewhere oh, in there. What? We're thinking 95. Is that because coach is behind you? <laughs> 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 no, I'm thinking about 80, 85. Oh, you know. You can work on it. I got it. I like it. <laughs> you looking forward to that Alabama game this year? Last time you went down there, I mean, you put on a hell of a performance. It was an all-time. I know you guys came up just short, but – Anytime going down to Bryant Denny, I mean, you, you have to put up numbers like that to beat the Crimson Tide. What's your confidence level that uh, that you can do it again? Uh, I'm extremely confident in uh, my teammates and the group that we have that's going to travel down there to uh, Alabama. Uh, extremely blessed, extremely honored to even be a part of this team, to even travel down there to Alabama, knowing that that's a, a, a big rival for us and a big game nationally. Uh, so just being able to have that confidence and make sure that my guys go in confident as well that we can beat this team. Yeah, I know he's right there, but you got any good Sam Pittman stories you can share? I mean, uh, did you ever crack any cold beers on the sideline like he did when he was a player? Nah, he ain't did that. The most he ever do is swear he was an athlete. Like, swear he played quarterback, running back, receiver, safety. Swear he played every position on the field. So that's probably about it. That's all he give us yeah. a story about. It seems like every year you have a new receiving core. Yeah. And you do well with the new guys you got. So who are you? developing that uh, rapport with this year on this year's receivers um all my guys i mean we each and every day we come in 
uh, whether it's after workout, whether it's early morning, whether it's on weekends. I mean, we all come in, tight ends, receivers, running backs. I mean, I, get, I try to get them all in there, and we all just work on bonding. That's our bonding time and also yeah. just timing and chemistry, just knowing how I'm going to throw the ball, what speed they're going to run this at, make sure they have patience in this route, anticipating. So just being able to get in and just pick their brains a little bit and just we just, just be a chemistry, be on the same page. Well, I wanted to ask, you know, you're one of the guys that had an opportunity to go to the next level, but you mm-hmm. decided to come back. I guess what what played that factor? What, what made you decide to come back one more year at Arkansas and get it right? Uh, I, I didn't play in a couple games due to injury, so that was one thing. And then also the uh, the draft last year was quarterback heavy, so I yeah. wanted to be able to come back and give myself a fair shot, a fair chance to be able to – Change my life forever and change my family life. So just being able to give my my teammates, for one, a better chance to uh, go out there and perform at a high level and also just being able to change my life. Absolutely. And we've asked a couple of Arkansas people this. Who's a better Heisman Trophy candidate, K.J. Jefferson or Rocket Sanders? Rocket Sanders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rocket I mean, Sanders I think you're sure. up there too, but, I mean, he's a hell of a player. What, what's it like lining up next to Rocket? I mean, defense doesn't know what's coming. Uh, I mean, just having a guy like that that has the power, the speed, yeah. uh, the vision, yeah. uh, to be able to catch out the backfield as well. Uh, just, I mean, he's just an explosive guy and a, a great teammate to have as well. I mean, he's extremely humble. He's confident. Uh, he's smart, intelligent. He loves coaching up the other guys, other running backs in that room. And uh, just having a guy like that is just a blessing. I mean, not too many teammates that you have that you can count on that's going to have your back and that's going to make sure he he's sacrificing everything it is to make sure he laid it out on the line for the team. Yeah, yeah. Is that game against, you know, the Mississippi schools a little bit personal? It's, I know you got a lot of family there, right? Yeah, of course. Of course those games are personal. I mean, me being from Mississippi and not going to those schools, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of a hatred thing right there from their <laughs> fan bases. But, I mean, for me it's more like a homecoming to me, just being able to go back to those schools and – be able to have some of my family members that can't come to Fairview come out to those games. So yeah. it's, it's a blessing as well. Is there you have a, your favorite game you played at Arkansas? Because for I don't know for a lot of Arkansas fans, it was, it was that big Texas win. Oh is, yeah. How high is that rank, or is there a different one for you? Uh, at Arkansas, I probably say the you could say the Texas game just because of the uh, fans storming the field. I mean, as a kid, you watched it on TV growing yeah. up. I mean, you always want to be a part of something like that. And to actually be a part of something like that was actually a surreal moment for me and just be able to – some of my family members actually was on the field with me as well. So to have them in that moment with me and to share that moment with me, it meant a lot. Is there any games on this schedule you got circled? Yeah, of course, all of them. <laughs> of course, all of them. All of them. Has Coach Enos, has he uh, hit up uh, Jalen Hurts to give you any advice or anything for playing for him or anything? Of uh, Yeah, so me, um, he's actually tried to connect me, Jalen, uh, Tua. He's actually tried to connect all of us together and basically do a little. I supposed to be actually doing a session with Jalen, training with Jalen, yeah. but the, uh, their training camp was starting and I was starting, so it was like kind of in between and we want to just kind of like try to push and both of us end up being late or off schedule. So, uh, but yeah, he's, he's trying to get both of us over the phone and stuff like that too. So just be able to just pick each other's brain. Um, I could be a, a resource for him and stuff like that. So who's your favorite quarterback in the NFL right now? Right now. Uh, I can give you, I can give you a top five. Yeah. yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, so I go Jalen Hurts. There's no order. Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and 
You can go to Lamar Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Man. Go to Lamar Jackson. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but we like to eat. Yeah. Where's the place to go in Fayetteville? Place to go in Fayetteville. Um, depends. What's 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 y'all like to eat? It depends on what you like you to can. eat. You <laughs> kidding? What you don't I like to eat? Just uh, vegetables is the only thing we don't. Yeah. I pretty like just I go. I got a, a wild variety. Like I go a number of different places. Like um, I go to um, Catfish Hole for that's yeah. one. Oh yeah. Uh, I like steak, so I mean I go to either Longhorns or yeah. A root Chris here and there or you know and uh i just started eat well i even just started but i like slowly done started eating a lot is uh cafe root new orleans yeah and uh Fayetteville. i like their food a lot too so so i got a different variety of different places i go to you got your own room when you go because i can't imagine you can walk anywhere in arkansas without being recognized <laughs> uh no I, I actually enjoy it i mean because you yeah. never know um what a person's going through, and yeah. you might be their hero. So yeah. being able to just maybe stop, take a picture, hear their story, or sign something for them would make their day or something like that. So just being able to embrace it and take it all in and just also just knowing that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Absolutely. Who's going to score more rushing touchdowns this year, you or Rocket? Uh, Rocket. <laughs> I'm going to pick Rocket every time. I ain't even gonna, I, I'm not even going to pick myself. I'm going to pick Rocket every time. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you again so much for your yeah, time. Really appreciate I really it, appreciate you coming over. Has this been the highlight here at this booth today? <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get to you. I got the, y'all got the livest booth. I get to you. I get to you. Thank you so I much. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. I couldn't believe Shane was laughing when I said best court. How many Arkansas fans can verify that we've been saying for damn two years here, KJ, one of the best in the SEC all off, off season? We've been saying now he's number one with uh, Bryce Young handing Hooker off to the NFL. But I kid. I kid that Tennessee homer. But, no, that was great. That really made the day there at SEC Media Day. So many highlights. Getting to interview Sam Pittman. Getting to interview K.J. Jefferson. Among our tops all time in this show's history. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Arkansas. Kyle, thank you very much for that. And what other clip? This was not from our exclusive interview. This was in the... The small room there at SEC Media Days, but I thought this was an interesting comment from Sam Pittman from Media Days, admitting, "Hey, we got pushed around a little bit here. Never thought I'd we'd see that in the Sam Pittman era." Let's kick it over to the head coach one more time. Right side, third row, Coach Billy Jones, KCOU, Columbia, Missouri. I was curious. I mean, you, you touched a little bit on that A and M game. I think it was five losses by a combined nine points. You bring in a new strength and conditioning coach this year. Was that part of it, hoping for yeah. someone to help your team finish games a little stronger? Yeah, I thought we got pushed around, you know, at times. And, man, it's hard for me to say that because I'm an offensive line coach. And I thought we got pushed around, uh, you know, Missouri uh, goal line down there, uh, LSU goal line. Um, so I thought there was a change that be needed. Nothing negative about anybody. It's just – Thought a change would be needed. I think you see the kids uh, that we brought with us. Uh, they have changed. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you win four more games, you, you win 11. You know, well, everybody can say that, you know. But I don't know if anybody – a lot of people can say, hey, you lost four games by nine points. And you go to specific situation of why you lost them. we got to clean that up. And part of that is the size and toughness and physicality of our football team. So just a little insight here that uh, 
you know, I heard at Media Days, I thought I would share, and it kind of goes hand in hand here. But Arkansas went a little light last offseason leading up to the year because I think they knew they were so thin at some critical positions. Tackling, physicality, that type of thing, they kind of went a little light on it to keep their players fresh, not to get them injured in camp. And what happened? They got injured during the season. They, they were not physically ready. And that's not across the board or anything. I'm not smearing the entire program here. But it was evident some of that toughness was lost. Tackling was certainly an issue, probably because they didn't practice it enough. So you bet your ass they're going to be changing that this offseason in Fayetteville. Got to get these players geared up better for the season. And like Sam Pittman says, hell, they lost four games by nine points. It's We were points away from potentially being a 10-11 win season. Uh, so they're not far off, but remains to be seen how effective these new coaches will be and what they'll add to the program, but I certainly cannot wait to see it. And speaking of cannot wait, let's kick it over to our interview with Ty Richardson there from ESPN Arkansas Radio, one of our favorites here in the SEC. We love talking to Ty, and this one didn't disappoint. We're here with one of our absolute favorites, Ty Richardson, ESPN Arkansas. Hit that line. What's up, What's brother? going on, man? I'm sporting, uh, since we all love to enjoy food, as you can see by the cameras, <laughs> I'm sporting cookout. You guys have had cookout, right? Like today? <laughs> there are like three locations right around here, so that is something. Uh, we're, I'm staying here through the weekend with some buddies, so we will be uh, probably consuming some about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, either on Friday or Saturday night. Absolutely. Any place that considers a chicken cheese quesadilla as a side dish, I'm in oh, on it. Yes. Not a sponsor, but it should be. Amen. Have you, have you been able to uh, keep your, your anger in check? Because today's A&M day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I, we pull up the radio row, and uh, I, I have nothing against any of the Texas guys. I really like Owen Buchanan. I don't know Billy Lochier. Oh, yeah. I think it's David Nunez is the other guy. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I did realize I probably need to refrain from some of the Aggie things, considering they're directly <laughs> next to us. Uh, so I've, I did not uh, go as ham today as I used to do at Texas A&M, but – Jimbo Fisher a little combative when asked about the Bobby Petrino questions. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think his ego is willing to say on public record either I've given complete control of Bobby Petrino or his ego won't let him give the reins to Bobby Petrino. Right. You know what's kind of funny because Eli was just on with Feinbaum, and this is some of the same comments he made. He, at the tail end of the season, the offense was not as productive as it should be, so I stepped away. I hired an offensive coordinator to run the plays. It's like that's what we want to hear with Texas A&M, and he just can't he can't say it, you know. Uh, I think that national championship that he has from 2013 in Jameis gives him this, like, complex where he always has. And what we've seen with the great ones, particularly Nick Saban, is the adjustments. And he's never the offensive guru. We know he's what he's done with defense over the years. But Saban realized when Freeze beat him back-to-back, is like, I can't run the ball yeah. 40 or 50 times a game. I've got to change up my offense. And we saw the dynamic of that. And I think for, for Jimbo Fisher, what you've seen at times is the offenses look so stagnant and so 2010s, basically. And you bring mm-hmm. a guy in who – Torched Arkansas for Missouri State this past season. Let me tell you what, we were on pins and needles in Fayetteville watching that game. Uh, that dynamic, and I know that, listen, I know as a head coach you say, we have respect for one another, blah, blah, blah. 
Guys, Petrino hasn't been an assistant in 20 years. Yeah. Jimbo hasn't let go of the offense since, what, pre-Bobby Bowden, Florida State? So you're going to tell yeah. me that a head coach in the past basically 20 years is all of a sudden going to relinquish some of the gravitas and power that he's had as a control freak that he is, a great coach, but a control freak. And then you combine that with a guy that he can talk about pressure all he wants, that there's no pressure where coaches we deal with pressure. You went, what, 5-7 and seven with a with the number one recruiting class in the country this past year, there's absolutely pressure in College State. That is a fascinating thing to watch in College Station. Yeah. But they capped the year. They beat a top five LSU. But I think that speaks to, again, what talent they have <laughs> right. and what poor coaching they they got out of it. You know what? I mean, it was just awful. But let's not, well, yeah, I let's mean, not have you on the talk. This ain't, ain't takes eggs over here. <laughs> what's the ceiling for Arkansas this year with KJ, <sighs> who I think is the best quarterback in the SEC? So if I say ten wins, I'm a homer that no one <laughs> listens to. If I say eight wins, that's too logical. Um, so I'd probably say nine. I, th- I think if yeah. they get to nine, uh, nine regular season, maybe nine, I, I guess ten and three with the or ten and four with the bull win. Does that sound right? Yeah. Nine regular season wins plus 10, yes, yeah, a bowl win. So I would say 10 total, nine regular season wins. Guys, there's not – Is that a better place for Arkansas than sitting here saying, oh, yeah, they're going to win 10 or 11 here. You saw what happened last year with this program at Expectations. I mean, right, this football right. team, let's just call it spade a spade. You have a losing record in the Southeastern Conference. You have bad in-state recruiting compared to the other schools you're having to compete with. So you're having to parlay all these different things that are at your disadvantage – and somehow, some way, competes with the top dogs each and every year. Alabama's, LSU's, Georgia, or whatever. So I would say, if this team wins nine games, I'll be jumping through the, I'll be jumping through the ceiling. I'll be excited. Yeah. Um, the the great equalizers, KJ Jefferson, team with Rocket Sanders, and you don't know who are going to be on the tackles. You don't know who's going to be out wide. They're throwing the football, and you're just a little unsure about the defense with so many incoming new guys, including the new defensive coordinator and a new offensive coordinator. Yeah. What's it going to take for KJ to be a Heisman finalist? <laughs> the grace of God. Um, <laughs> oh, come on, man. Well, <laughs> that should be a lot. Here's the, here's the thing. I think if we asked this question two years ago about Hendon Hooker or whoever, and yeah, last exactly. year about Hendon, you guys would have said something similar. Then Heupel comes in, we see the high-flying offense, and yeah. I mean, Hendon was here today. And I'm sitting here, yeah. it's like, man, no one thought anything – of you, I mean, Milton was the perceived starter, and then all of a sudden, Hinton takes over after the injury and just gets rolling. I don't think that's going to happen with um, Jacoby Criswell and KJ. But right, right. what I know what KJ Jefferson's going to do from a just overall like gamer. Like if he's in the game, Arkansas is always going to have a chance to win. But the fact of the matter is, it's a team award now, and so yeah. the team has to help him out. The team can't always make him put the team on his back. Like, he's got to get some help. And I just don't know if they have enough talent this year for him to be in that discussion. I think the better discussion, I think we'll see Rocket at the Doak Walker and the Home Depot College Football Playoff Awards. I think that's almost a lock unless he just gets injured or something. But asking KJ to maybe be in New York, and um, and I'm forgetting the the trophy presentation place, but that's – I want it to happen. I just don't know if I can get myself there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love Hunter Yerichek. I think he's done a great job. But I, what was your, your thoughts when he – did you see his viral comments where he's like, my God, we got football players in college making more money. Mm-hmm. And specifically who he's talking about probably is KJ, mm-hmm. which elevates Arkansas, which had he went to the NFL, 
He's probably a late-round mm-hmm. pick. He's a borderline. And he may be better now that he's got Danny Eno's coaching. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock KJ. But why, why in the hell are we complaining that we got KJ, who may be the – who may be the best player in the entire SEC. Here's what I would say to that, and I don't think it's just Hunter. I think it's other people within the sport. You think about how these guys had to work and grind and do what they had to do 60, 70, 80-hour weeks to get where they are on a, a statue. I mean, there are guys playing college football right now that make more money than Greg Sankey. Yeah. And he may not say that bothers him, and other guys may say that not bothers him, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie. If I see a 12-year-old making 300000 4000 that bothers me. I'm 28. Yeah. And so to say that that's exclusive to me is, I, I think, not right. Like, I, I think there's a lot of people that feel like, well, you should have to go through what I went through and, what, and work your way up and whatnot. And with the changing of social media, the different things. I mean, this show is a perfect example. You guys organically, Mike, you organically made this show into what it is today. And worked your, yeah, and worked your, your ass off. And now it's, again, the premier SEC football podcast. So I, I just think that, that that's not ever going to be said publicly by one of the big dogs, but that's in the back of their mind. And I yeah. guarantee you that it, even if, again, they won't let that know publicly, it frustrates them a little bit. Mm-hmm. What did you think of uh, coming out? Texas and Arkansas, they're going to play in 2024, right? I mean, how can it get any and, and balls, baby. You guys are coming to Fayetteville yeah. that year, right? That's right. Golly, yeah. man. Arkansas yeah. could not have asked for a better schedule. I had someone text me immediately after that came out with LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas coming to town. We made out like bandits because the visiting games, A&M on the road, road, Jerry World, neutral side, yeah, right. road game in Starkville. We'll see what Arnett does. Rogers is going to be gone after this year, so I'll have a chance in transition quarterback. Missouri, even though Arkansas never won in Columbia, and I'm forgetting that last home game, but they avoid Alabama and they avoid Georgia, and I still saw yeah. Arkansas fans complaining. And I'm, I am, I'm for one, am not the biggest fan sometimes of what comes out of Birmingham in terms of news, in terms of rulings, but I felt like in this situation, man, Arkansas got a great deal, and uh, I can't wait for 2024. Hey, speaking of future um there's talk about going to nine games mm-hmm. you know if that were to happen is who would you want arkansas to have their three opponents against their, their permanent rivalries if they yeah go they're going to stick them with mizzou no matter what so that's just that's and so this side it's what's going to happen so it's going to be mizzou it's going to be texas and it's going to be old miss who i'd actually want would oklahoma's norman's about two and a half hours from where i live i think that'd be yeah. great Norman, um, Texas, and I would like Texas A&M. You basically have your Southwest Conference with yeah. the Big Eight school that you pull down with. I mean, that's close in terms of regional. Oklahoma and Missouri are going to play each other. We know uh, that's person. I love playing LSU. I think Baton Rouge is yeah. one of the best college towns in the, not just the SEC but the country. I love going to Oxford, going back there this year. Um, but I just like the idea of kind of being the pod, basically what they came out with. But that's not going to happen, as we know, unfortunately. Everybody likes to talk about hot seats, <laughs> and everybody loves Sam. Is he on one? I don't think so. I think what happened last year is we truly didn't understand how much they lost when you factor in Joe Fouché and Greg Brooks going to LSU prior to And I remember when that happened, and I got in a heated debate with one of my co-hosts. I said, this is going to be a huge deal next year. 
And he tried to play it off. No, no. It's like, nope, this is going to be a big deal. And what do those guys do? They have pretty good seasons for a good LSU defense. And then you lose your best defensive back, and Jalen Catalan, he's out for the season. You lose uh, Miles Slusher, who's out for a good chunk of the year. You just kept losing guys. You're playing like true freshmen in the, in the right. cycle, and you just don't have any depth. Arkansas can't ever afford to just get whacked at one position group. It's not Athens. It's not Tuscaloosa. It's not Baton Rouge. Arkansas doesn't have enough SEC talent on the roster. So as long as they avoid that, Shane, yeah. <laughs> the season won't go to that. And I don't think Sam's going to be in that category. Look, two years ago, they wanted to re-up his contract, throw more money. Yeah. Some Arkansas fans were fun. They should be. I mean, you won nine games. You beat A&M. You beat Missouri. And you beat the absolute piss out of Texas, which Arkansas fans love. I remember you talking about oh. that. I remember listening to your show and you said, Texas doesn't know what they're walking into in Fayetteville that Saturday yes. night, and you were exactly right. So I, I don't I don't think so. I did, Dodd had him as like a one on his yeah. on his hot seat chart, and I'd probably say that's about it. He's not untouchable, but a one's probably where right. he's at. How weird is that uh, LSU game in the first, what, month Ooh. of the season? So that is the fourth week of the college football season. They go to Mississippi State before. Um, I think it's going to be the SEC on CBS 230 game. I think that uh, they're going to pit Daniels and Jefferson and Parade as because they're going to come out as one or two this yeah. week, mm-hmm. and they're going to they're going to market that as the best quarterback matchup of the league this year. I really do because I, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are no longer. I mean, Hooker, uh, Bennett, Levis, Young. Bryce I mean, Young. you lost. Yeah. You are, that's four drafted guys right there. So I think they're going to center around that. LSU, to me, is going to wax Mississippi State the week before. Even with Will Rogers, who is a very good probably top five quarterback in this league, top four, he's a very good quarterback. They're going to be at home. I think that LSU just goes and blows the doors off them. Then they've got Ole Miss the next week. And after Arkansas, which we know how heated the Magnolia Bowl gets, yeah. I think they I'm not sleepwalk. But I think that there's a little bit of a lull that week, even with them pitting it as the best quarterback matchup. And I think KJ's pissed he didn't play last year. I think he's watching yeah. that game and saying to myself, like he did two years ago when they won batters, if I'm in the game, we'll win the game, period. Yeah. And uh, we were talking with Matt Moscone earlier today, and he, he felt like the game would be a little different. He didn't necessarily say Arkansas would have won. But if, if KJ's playing that game, Arkansas wins that football game, Oh yeah, in my opinion. There was no offense. It in was. That game. It was. <laughs> that was horrible. I could, I could. That one could not end quick enough. You know. Imagine being there watching it live and just wanting to blow your head off. Man, they can't move the ball. Ugh, that was rough. A lot of turnovers. What, what will the reaction in Fayetteville be, regardless of how well Arkansas does, if Bobby Petrino is the thing that unlocks all the talent at A&M this fall, and A&M is a top ten team, like they should be with that roster. I think it's just kind of expected. I think a lot of what I have heard consistently from our listeners is I'm worried about what's coming out of College Station. And you get A&M the week after you play LSU, which is not going to be an easy game, win or lose. And and then A&M has some interesting games early on as well. But, I mean, five stars don't don't grow on trees. And you got a quarterback when he has five stars next to his name. Typically that means he has some attributes that – Coaches can mold to this point. You think about what A&M, we were talking about Arkansas injury. What A&M suffered a quarterback this last year was horrible. So, yeah. I mean, if Petrino's known, and you talked to Tyler Wilson, uh, the late Ryan Mallett, 
talk to anyone that's played quarterback under him, they will give him praise. Now, of course, he gave him something else, uh, words we can't repeat on, <laughs> on this show, but uh, the the success and the uh, the track record's there, guys. I just hope it, well, it doesn't play out in golf stage. But if it does, if, if, if I mean, because you see it with Hugh Freeze getting your second opportunity in the mm-hmm. SEC, if they cut loose, Petrino, you know, I don't know, just runs the show there. A&M makes a run at SEC championship, maybe even college football playoff run. Is he a head coach again in the SEC? I think you'd have to look at what jobs would be open at that point. Um, I know someone had brought to my attention, well, what happens if Eli Drinkwitz has a terrible season at Missouri and Petrino kills it at A&M with the Missouri job open up? I mean, he's been in Springfield. I don't know if there's any connection or if there's what the administration has in terms of thoughts on on him. That's, again, way down the road. I think it would have to be a program like that. It, like, it would have to. It's not. Yeah. He's not going to Florida or something if Billy, okay. Billy Napier gets fired. They're not going to turn around and get Petrino. Well, make, remember no. the whole Tubby Tuberville Auburn thing years ago? <laughs> I, I don't know if there's any um, if there's any connection still there, but Freeze is going to get more than one year unless it – just something crazy comes out of the woodwork. So, well, you mentioned like Mississippi State. I mean, we don't know how well this Arnett yeah. thing. I mean, that that seems like a job that would be interesting. Oklahoma, they, would Oklahoma be a job chain that he would? I think that's the one to watch. You think we'll, we'll find oh, out yeah. a lot about Brent Venables this and year? I think there's something to monitor. Now, there are some people. I know Phil still has Oklahoma's the second most improved team of any of his teams. A and M's at one. I don't think Oklahoma is going to wait. If they, if Venables and Gabriel and those guys have another trash season, six and six, or a losing record in the Big Twelve, then I think they're going to cut bait this year. Yeah, and I think that they're going to look at this guy's had success in the SEC. At, at, assuming what you're just saying plays out with A and M, and they blow up, and it's like he just did it again at A and M. This might not be a ten year solution, but it can be a quick fix for now, and maybe they have a kind of a guy inside in sight that they perceive to be in. Four to five years. I don't know if Jeff Levy would get that job because he's on staff. No, he's, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think, think so. so either because yeah. he'd be on Venable's staff at that point. But he is the alum there. You definitely don't want to come limping into the SEC. That's for <laughs> <No>. sure. <laughs> it's. I mean, I re- I can vividly remember Joe Tessitore's call earlier uh, during the the Texas game is. Welcome to the SEC. We play a lot of scrimmage ball, and I'm sitting there bricked up out of my mind listening to this. Like, eat. We can't eat yeah. whatever Texas like it. You say whatever yeah. you want. Eat right. shit, Texas. Yeah. Like, God. Yeah. And I'm not eating. I mean, again, hate chart, Aggies, Longhorns, Rebels, Tigers. But I just remember being so hyped up after that game. It's just like, welcome to the SEC, mofos. Like, and then I hope that's the exact same thing that happens next year. What would make it even sweeter if, if if a Manning was throwing passes and throwing picks left and right? Yeah, uh, y'all don't have to cheer for him. He's in the wrong orange, but that would uh, that would be even sweeter for Arkansas fans. What what upset is most likely to happen for Arkansas next year? LSU, Alabama, or Missouri? Oh gosh, I, I had I had to throw him under the bus. Right oh now. gosh, if if they lose to Missouri at home, you might as well. I'm not coming back to do radio after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm just going to stay at home and never do it again. I honestly think, and this is, you have to juxtapose two things. They always play, I say they always, they usually play LSU tougher than people think. So you have yeah. to put that there. But we're sitting here in middle of July, and I don't think Nick Saban has any clue who his quarterback's going to be. Yeah. I don't think he has any idea. 
and he's going to come with a strong front on Wednesday, and it's probably going to be really passive-aggressive if you want to ask him about that. <laughs> that doesn't sound like him. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's a real issue. Arkansas hasn't had a quarterback advantage in that game since 2015 when it was Coker, Brandon Allen. They still lost. But we saw two years ago. Now you had Traylon Burks yeah. to throw the ball to. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, KJ stacked up pretty well against Bryce Young. I, I, I feel weird saying it, but it might be Tuscaloosa. We hadn't beaten those SOBs since 2006. <laughs> Last time you beat them in Tuscaloosa was Matt Jones. My buddy and co-host of ESPN Arkansas when they did no three. That was a long time ago, guys. So y'all know years, y'all know man. something about yeah. that. I know all God. about that. Oh, been there. <laughs> we'll send you a cigar for that. Oh, I please, promise. man. Jeez, please. I can't even imagine what y'all were on cloud nine. I bet y'all were as drunk as all get. But I'll, I'll say this, and I said this last year, and I remember telling you this: Tennessee's going to beat Georgia this year. Yeah, he's been saying I'll it say. for a while. I honestly think that's going to happen. In football. <laughs> in football. football. Yeah. All right. gonna be no, Georgia. No. It's going to be Georgia's one loss. Georgia ha- isn't going to get tested all year. and then It just feels like that's like, like everybody goes to. We, you know, we have people on. We say, what's the, what's the trap game for? It's like, well, clearly Tennessee is the one. Do you think, I mean, last time we said this, Kirby had them dialed in. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think Athens has been as loud as that. That may be the loudest game they've ever had. You know, they they didn't overlook the volunteers, and I just don't see that happening this year. So, why, why, why Tennessee? Why can they beat Georgia this year? Because I think Milton's probably going to end up being a top-five quarterback. He's not going to be hooker, but I think he's yeah. going to be up there. Um, I, I think that Tennessee is going to vividly remember what happened in Athens last year, which, make no mistake, walking in Athens, Arkansas fans, it was 36-0. Like, we know all about that. <laughs> and they were undefeated at that point. We just yeah, beat, it was a top ten just beat Texas, just beat A&M. College saying, let's go. Grant Morgan gets run over. I'm like a third and three. I said, this game's over. Like, we got no <laughs> chance in this game. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt the exact same way about Alabama last year. And yeah. We, we got a Tennessee guy that does the show with us. He's Bruce Dan with Proud Cove Fishing. He's a big-time Tennessee guy. And I had to convince him for three straight months that Tennessee was going to beat Alabama. So I guess for the next hour many months, I'll convince you guys. That <laughs> yeah, that's be, all right. Send me a text every I don't, morning. <laughs> I don't think y'all are going to beat Alabama this year because I, I get Nick Saban revenge games. Revenge but I do game, think yeah. that y'all get that Georgia win. Y'all might slip up on something. I think, I mean, I don't think it's yeah. a great chance y'all win those ten games. Uh, who do y'all yeah. open with? Who's Tennessee open with again? Virginia. I mean, that's a dub. That's in a Nashville. Dub. Yeah. It's, it, they're like a 30-point favorite. <laughs> Against a Power 5 team? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Well, I, I don't think we can go out on a better note than no, that. Oh, yeah, so yeah. We appreciate you, Ty. Uh, tell everybody before you go, where can they find yeah. you? Yeah, uh, at Ty Sports Radio. We do the morning rush from 6 to 9 on ESPN Arkansas. Hit that line.com and uh, – Anytime I get a chance to go on with these goobers, uh, I know my brother's going to – you know, my brother texts me. He was – because you were telling him you need to bring him to media days. Well, he's yeah. in that yard. It's in Dallas next year. It's at the Omni. He'll drive nice. 15 minutes from Las Colinas. And, uh, yeah, let's drink some cold beer I think, together. Uh, I think Joey yeah. will be okay with that. We're gonna, we'll probably do another SEC media days tailgate. Yeah, He absolutely. better come. Yeah, he will, yeah. Uh, he will risk life and death to be there. <laughs> I guarantee you. I guarantee you. All right, perfect. And we were also 
lucky enough to talk to the man, John Neighbors from the Buzz, locked on Razorbacks. He's killing it over there. If you're not already, I assume everybody listening to this is already subscribed to the Locked On Razorback Show, because if not, you're missing out. I know Arkansas fans love it. But let's go to our interview with John Neighbors. All right, one of our favorites here, John Neighbors from the Buzz, locked on Razorbacks. How's it going, buddy? Man, it's going great. It's good to be here in Nashville. It's a lot better than Hoover. I can tell you that. (laughs) It's a lot better than Hoover. They need to have it here a lot more often. Yeah, and true story, first day we go up uh, to the rooftop bar. Yeah. (laughs) There's Mr. John Neighbors having the time of his life up there. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm trying to hold court up there, you know, like trying to make sure I keep it all together and start everything out with a bang. But, no, because it's just honestly my favorite thing about coming here to SEC Media Days, obviously seeing players and getting the football season really going. But it's just everybody with a like mind, you know, like everybody's just trying to create content, whether it's podcasting, whether it's radio, whether it's writing, whether it's TV. It's like we're all – doing some sort of media, putting it out, but doing it in different ways and doing it about a passion that we all have, which, of course, is SEC football. So it's so much fun to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, what? hey, we're, we're a day in. Anything that you took from yesterday? Anything standing out to you? Um, I still think Eli Drinkwitz is a dork. Um, <laughs> uh, Greg Sankey, I thought it was really interesting, like, you know, given his state of the union, if he will, yeah. uh, talking about NIL, talking about gambling. You know, I, I talked about my radio show yesterday. Those are things that I know exist and we talk about what it, what's right. going on, what we'd like to see fixed and everything. But it just goes to show you at the end of the day, like, we just want to see football games. Yeah. You know, we want to see Arkansas run out there out of the A. And as fans, that's what you want. But it just goes to show the genius of what Greg Sankey is, is just ahead of the game and everything. You right. know, the stuff that he has to think about and they have to work through. Stuff that the average fan doesn't care about. Like, yeah. obviously, you don't want gambling going on with officials or coaches or anything. But, you know, that, that fans are like, okay, yeah, just don't do that. But we don't care about the intricacies of it. Right. I, that's what I always find so fascinating with Greg Sankey is not only the forward thinking that he has, but just the stuff that none of us really maybe think about or consider. He's working out plans, trying to put it together and Absolutely. make sure that it's the best product yeah. that possible. Let me ask you this. If uh, you had to bet your life. Yeah. That one of these two guys is a highest, maybe not even a winner, but a finalist, KJ or Rocket. You probably have to go KJ because it's a quarterback, right? I would. Just It's a quarterback-driven award. Yeah. And there has been, as we've seen, running backs and even a wide receiver win it. But just knowing that, at least for the case of KJ, he's the most important piece on this Razorback football team. Um, it, if you did not have KJ this year, if he had gone to the NFL draft last year, and you were having to have some sort of new quarterback, whether it's Jacoby Criswell, the transfer, or maybe they got some other transfer, whatever it is. I think Razorback fans would start feeling like this might be a 6-6 six and six year, 7-5. Could be great, but may not be. It just depends on the quarterback. But because of K.J. Jefferson being at Arkansas and being that guy, the most important player on the team who you got to keep healthy, I think Razorback fans are saying that this is a year to where they can do even better than what they did last season. Yeah. They can take those steps forward. KJ himself can take those steps forward. The things he needs to work on and adjust, Danny knows the new OC and quarterback coach can maybe help him with and get him in a position to where not only is he successful as an individual, but the team's a lot better. And when the team's a lot better and he's successful as an individual, that's how you get to be a Heisman finalist or at least in the conversation. So yeah. I, I would go with KJ. And I love Rocket. He's a great running back to me, the best running back in the SEC. But quarterback is always going to be what drives the bus on that. In that new offense, how 
does that change, KJ? Because you don't want to change him too much because he's so, such a great player. But what new wrinkles, I mean, what differences do you think we'll see in his game on the field this fall? I want to see how he handles reads. That, that's been his biggest thing in the Kendall Browns offense, which, you know, it had its highs and lows. There were, there were good times and there were bad times. I mean, his balance was great, you know, as far as rushing the ball and passing the ball. But to me, I want to see how KJ handles when he gets into shotgun and, or drops back, looking at his primary guy. If it's not open or it's not there, second read, third yeah. read. Or when he gets to the line of scrimmage, seeing what the defense is giving him. It's those little tweaks and adjustments that I think will make the difference. And I think that's what Dan Enos is going to do for him. Dan Enos has a great resume of coaching high-level quarterbacks. You know, when he was at Alabama, he coached Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And his Jalen Hurts' best season at Alabama was with Dan Enos, where people forget he, he rushed for I think, over 1,000 yards with Dan Enos there, and he threw for nearly 3,000. And I know they're different quarterbacks. It's Bama. You know, they got five-star talent across the board. But I think that with Enos and his resume and knowing what it takes to put together a well-rounded, complete quarterback, I think that's what's going to be the biggest thing for KJ this season and taking him from being just a great SEC player to a possible first-round pick next year in the draft. Yeah, and we love – I mean, we both love K.J. Jefferson, and he's going to need some help on the outside. And, and I know there's a lot of new names. Is there any names that maybe on your list at the end of the season becomes a household name? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say – because we know with the, with the regulars of K.J. and Rocket, if we're going offense for sure, I think Isaac Tesla is yeah. a name that people are going to need to remember. He's a transfer from – uh, small school up up north. Uh, he's from Michigan originally, and he was a guy that had a lot of scholarship offers to different SEC schools as a transfer. I know Ole Miss was very interested in him. A and M was interested in him. Um, but when he came aboard, people saw his name because they keep saying Tesla, but it's not it's a Tesla because it's got two A's in it. But they're like, okay, they see this guy. He, he he's a big bodied guy, but he comes from the small school. You know, why would you want him? And during spring practices and even the spring game, he took a little bit of adjustment time. But I'm telling you right now, him and his ability to, to – he's just a possession guy. You throw yeah. it, if you throw it in his vicinity, he's catching it. Uh, he's a physical wide receiver. He's not going to have top-end speed, but he'll fight off defenders. Right. Uh, he runs routes incredibly. So he may not be the, the, you know, the burner. They may not be the Traylon Burks guy or even a Matt Landers guy, but – I think that he's going to be the primary target for K.J. Jefferson, and he's going to be a guy that does get to 1,000 yards. I don't know, but I think he'll be, at the end of the day, the best wide receiver that Arkansas has had. And if K.J. has a big year, which I think everybody thinks right. he will, it's going to be a lot because he's thrown it to Isaac Tesla. Okay. Well, I think it's only natural. We all look at the offense, and, it, and it, you do that because you got K.J., because you got Rocket, and Arkansas fans are so familiar with Dan Enos, but I think the one a lot of people are overlooking is Travis Williams, the new defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. And I love Barry Odom. I think some of the biggest wins of the Sam Pittman era are due to Barry Odom and the scheme. But as you, all Razorbacks have said, the defense can't get much worse than it was last year. What kind of impact are you looking for from uh, Travis Williams? Well, I, I love Barry Odom too. But the problem last season with the defensive secondary that gave up 1,800 yards a game or whatever it was, it's what it seemed like. The problem was it's not the cornerbacks. Because you had Dwight McLaughlin, who was a really good cornerback for Arkansas. He's back this year. Mm-hmm. And you had the emergence of Quincy McAdoo, who moved from wide receiver, started playing a lot better. He was in a car accident. We still don't know the status. He's going right. to be available to play this year. Uh, and even Hudson Clark, which I know a lot of people give him a hard time, but he's a really good cornerback when you look at the ratings and you look at uh, you know his ability there. It was the safety. The safeties were the issue. Jalen Catalan goes out for the year. 
and they had nobody. And that's why those big plays happened. That's why over the top it happened. And Barry Odom coached the safeties. He yeah. was the defense coordinator and the safeties coach. So it's like that's a problem. You can't you can't be where your specialty is supposed to be safeties as a defense coordinator, and that is the by far the biggest weakness on the team. Yeah. So that was an issue. I understand why they moved on, but with Travis Williams and what he's brought to the table, schematically, no clue if it's going to be better than Barry Odom or not. No clue. The only thing I care about, and I've said this many times when it comes to defense at a place like Arkansas, don't worry. Scheme will, will take care of itself. you got to get players. And I know that's it's cliche to say it, but Arkansas's best defense they've had in the past 15, 20 years was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Rob Smith was the defensive coordinator. Was Rob Smith just an incredible defense coordinator that was just this mastermind? No. Rob Smith had Trey Flowers. He had Dietrich Wise. He had Darius Phylon. He had Martrell Spate. He had bona fide NFL players. And that's what it comes down to at a place like Arkansas. You're not going to get NFL players at all 11 spots on defense, but can you recruit? Can you get out of the portal? Can you get the Drew Sanders? Can you get uh, Jeff Cope from Missouri who's coming in has been an impact player? Can you get the guy, uh, Alcott from the, the safety out of Baylor who's a big-time player? Can you get those guys or just four or five of them that can be NFL caliber, at least high-level SEC caliber players? That's all you need. You don't need Arkansas's defense to be number one in the SEC. They're never going to be that. Can they just be middle of the pack? Because think about it, guys, last year. Think about if that defense is just average mm-hmm. in yeah. the SEC last year. Yeah. Arkansas still went 6-6. Six and six. If they have an average defense, I think they end up going at least 9-3. and three. Yeah. It's not the case, but I think just because of that and what they've done the transfer portal, what they did with the excitement and the rejuvenation and the whole new defensive staff, I think that the defense under Travis Williams is going to take major steps forward because – can't get much worse than what it was last year. <laughs> well, one guy they'll need to uh, rely on if they do take that step is Landon Jackson, who's a representative here at SEC yeah. Media Days. Does that speak to, uh, you know, he could be the biggest breakout star on the team. We he- heard great things at the spring, but we were saying, well, does that mean he's amazing or does that mean yeah. we, we got issues at offensive tackle? Where, where do you lie on that one? Well, I think with Landon Jackson, he, he kind of came, acro- came, came on late last year. He was uh, the transfer from LSU, and I remember I talked to some LSU people when he transferred in because I saw this, like, hey, it's a four-star player that came out of high school, 6'7", 250 pounds. I'm like, yeah. man, that seems like uh, a DN that you want to have in the SEC. And a lot of these LSU people were like, ah, he just never played. He, he wasn't that great. And uh, so I, I was kind of concerned at first. But then as the season went on, he, he didn't start a whole lot, but then he started later in the year. He started playing more later. He started making plays later in the year. I'm like, okay, maybe we're starting to see – the impact from him and then in the spring defensively him and Jeff Coat to me were the best players defensively and how impressive they were like the, it, that's not saying that other guys were bad but you they stood out and so those guys being on the DNs it, I, I feel really comfortable and confident with those guys and Landon Jackson I think is finally coming into his own where he's making the most out of his athleticism I think Deke Adams the D-line coach has done a great job he's experienced in the SEC and developing him and as we all know, to win in the SEC, you got to have great trench play. Yeah. And those DNs, if those guys stay healthy and those guys are as good as what people are hoping, uh, you could see another year where Arkansas may not lead the C- uh, SEC in sacks, but could be up there in the mix and could cause some havoc for some quarterbacks. Hey, we just did a, a segment, win, loss, and toss. We, we talked about this off, off air. But yeah. I'm kind of curious in your mind, when you're looking at Arkansas's schedule, is there any that – 
maybe as an outsider, they've penciled in a, a victory against the Razorbacks, but you're like, hey, let's let's hold off. There may be something here. Well, I think that that happens, especially with Arkansas a lot, just because you know they've not had a whole lot of success the past yeah. decade, and a lot of people view it as it should be a win. But I, I brought this up too, and, and I'll answer your question, but. You know, Sam Pittman has won three SEC games all three years he's been here. He won mm-hmm. three in 2020, four in 2021, and three last year. Now, that may not seem like something super impressive, but from 2012 to 2019, Arkansas averaged 1.5 wins in the SEC per season. Yeah. So he has doubled that, and he's done it in three years, and he did it after taking over a program from Chad Morris. Like, he has elevated Arkansas's competitiveness. Right. And last year, seven points away from having nine wins. Yeah. You know, he's getting there, and he's, they're being competitive. And so I think that a lot of times Arkansas, even last season in some of these close games, like I think LSU is a great example. I think LSU overlooked Arkansas, and that's why that game was even close. KJ didn't even play. He had Malik Hornsby, right. and that game was 13-10 to 10 final. <laughs> and, like, Arkansas hadn't held. I think that was, this, like, that, that was the least amount of points anyone had scored against Arkansas, and I think the second least was, like, 28. Like, it wasn't yeah. even – it was weird. But I think that happens a lot. It was a, a tough lot. watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was not a fun game to attend in the cold either. But – I think that there's going to be people that always look at Arkansas that way. But honestly, if I'm looking at the schedule, Arkansas plays like seven games in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. I think they should go undefeated in Fayetteville. Okay. Or at least at home in Arkansas. I think yeah. they play again in War Memorial the first game of the season. They should go undefeated. And that includes their four non-conference games. But also Auburn, Mississippi State, and Missouri. Yeah. They should win all three of those games. I love how Arkansas people just completely disregard the zoo. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Because it, it goes back to the thing where – Arkansas is better than them, but they just don't win the game. You know, it's just like, you know, those years that Ole Miss beat Alabama back-to-back years. Was Ole Miss a better team than Alabama? Yeah. No. They just – it just happened, you know, and that's what it feels like with Missouri. Like, Drinkwitz has not had a winning record. That guy has not had a winning record. South Carolina just said the same thing yesterday. It's like, yeah, like we lose it, but we shouldn't be. We yes. were the better team. Yes, and, like, and, and, you know, it's so that's where it's like it's – I'm putting it as if you put – measure both teams on the field talent wise all that arkansas is a better team they should win the game so that's where i'm putting that into the mix but the game honestly that i believe that most people are writing off for arkansas at least the people i've talked to i think it's that florida game on the road Mm -hmm. now it's they could be awful though yeah and it's in november Mm -hmm. it's the first game in november for arkansas and right after they play georgia and it's coming off arkansas for a bye week because arkansas got the bye week before so that, to me, could be the crucial game for Arkansas and the difference between having another 6-6 six and six year or having an 8-4, and 9-3 year. Yeah. And I just – Billy Napier, I, I'm not saying anything against him, not saying he can't get it going. I don't have any issue with him. But, as you mentioned, it could be disastrous by that point in time of the year. Right. I mean, this dude had, what, three first-round picks last season with 6-6? Six and six? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like six who does? Yeah, 6-7, and seven, even better. Like, how, how, <laughs> how, do you, how do you justify that? So – I, who's to say the floor is going to be better this year? I don't right. know. But I think that that's the game where Florida's probably looking at it as a win. Oh, it's at home. Oh, right. it's Arkansas. Oh, it's this, that. But uh, going to your point, if things don't go well for Florida in the beginning of the year, it could fall off the rails by that point, and Arkansas yeah. could go in there and take care of business. Well, speaking of going off the rails, A&M went off the rails last year. They're bringing in Petrino. All Arkansas fans know him very well. But what you read on the fact that I don't know. I assume you caught this yesterday, but Jimbo was asked repeatedly about Bobby Petrino. He dodges and ducks and dodge and dives the question. <laughs> he will not address it. We hear from people close to the program. 
he's given complete control to Petrino. The practices are being run different, yet his fucking ego will not allow him to say that. Yeah. I mean, it. I'm just saying, I'm high on A&M. I think they yep. should be really good. Me. But the fact that he can't even do that, I think he could snap or something. I think, especially if they lose to, like, Miami just, right out and, the gate. too, when you're seeing other coaches do it. We talked about right. Drink. He comes out and he says, the offense basically sucked, and it was my fault. So mm-hmm. right. we brought in a coordinator, and that's going to be his job. Why, why are we not seeing that with Texas A&M? Well, I'll, I'll say this, and I don't know if you guys remember it. Maybe you do. This reminds me of when Arkansas had Houston Nutt as their head coach. and. Yeah. Houston Nutt, still to this day, I despise him. Uh, but he's the only coach in Razorback history to have back-to-back losing seasons and keep his job. He's the only coach to ever do that. And he had back-to-back losing seasons. The offense was abysmal. It was terrible. And he was essentially forced to hire Gus Malzahn, this high school coach from Springdale High, right yeah. there in the backyard. And fans were excited about it because, like, man, this mastermind's fine offense. And Arkansas won 10 games. They won the SEC West that year. Every Darren McFadden was obviously the main reason why. But it ended disastrous. It was a split. It was a famous story. Oh, Everyone, yeah. and this is what it reminds me of. Jimbo doesn't want to change his offense. He thought his offense was fine. He did not want to have a coordinator. He didn't want right. to change anything. But essentially, they're like, you got to hot. You got to change this. And Petrino is, without a doubt, the, and again, my opinion, the greatest offensive mind to ever coach in the SEC. Yeah, at least well. here in the modern era, because like he showed that he could win at a high level with Ryan Mallett, who's six foot seven, two hundred forty pounds, and runs like a five three. Yeah, and at Louisville, he showed that he could win with Lamar Jackson, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, who is complete polar opposite of a quarterback that what Mallett was. Dude knows how to make offenses work, no matter who is his personnel. And so I think that when Jimbo was forced to hire Petrino, or at least that's how it's viewed. It's going to take a hit to his ego, just like it took a hit to Houston Nuts' ego, yeah. where people are going to start saying, a great offensive game. Oh, my goodness. Look at Petrino's offense. Look how great it is. And Jimbo's going to get mad. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm still the head coach, though. I'm, that's, you know, it's, I'm, I get the credit for it. <laughs> or if the games go badly or it, you know, whatever, it's going to be, well, you just we need Petrino as our head coach. because you, you, you know, I think it's a lose-lose for Jimbo. Yeah. And I think Jimbo just talks too fast in order to not say certain things in a certain way. Yeah. And I think that that's what happened yesterday. But you can tell from Jimbo, he doesn't want this. It's he, He's tired of talking about it. He knows he's going to have to talk about it forever. And it's it's one of two things. It If it works out and it clicks for A&M, I think they may be a serious contender in the SEC West with yeah. Petrino. I hate to say it, but they got the talent. They but got does it all. Petrino get the credit? Or does <laughs> he Jimbo? Will. No, but he will. Yeah. Petrino will get the credit. Just like in, in that year that Arkansas won 10 games, with Mal- Malzahn yeah. got the credit because they're like, you, Nut went five and six and four and right. seven, and suddenly ten wins. What was the difference? Gus Malzahn. <laughs> That's right. So it, it's, it's like gonna, Brady and LSU. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> it, it's a lose lose no matter what. And I, again, if it works out, they could have a great year, but it's not long term. Yeah, it, I think this is a one year shot at it. It's going to either Jimbo's going to get fired and they just elevate Petrino, or Petrino's going to go somewhere else. Right. It's a one-year deal, but if it works, it'll be amazing. But if not, it'll be disastrous, and it'll be over before the season even gets started. Yeah. Last thing I got for you, John, is there one game you're looking forward to the most this year? And it, Not even necessarily uh, you know, a matchup or anything like that, but I'm specifically talking, like if we were going to go to an Arkansas game, you got it circled. Maybe it'll, you hope it's going to be a night game. The atmosphere is going to be yeah. intense. Arkansas does not get enough night games. We all know that. So which one do you think most likely for fan experience alone? 
Well, the home schedule sucks this year for Arkansas. <laughs> like, it does. It's You get three home games in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's Auburn, Mississippi State, and Missouri. I mean, it's not really moving the needle. Like, it, odds are that none of those teams will even be ranked in the top 25 right. by that point. Uh, your non-conference, is your, your big one's BYU, <laughs> and that's a night game, and that's at 630, I guess, so that's cool. So it, it's so there's no real home game for Arkansas that it's just like that matchup. But I still think that the game that will be a huge determining factor for both of these teams, and it's a team we just talked about, we Arkansas-Texas A&M. I hate that game. It's dumb. There's dumb things that happen all the time, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, like last year, diving from the six-yard line, and then it gets returned for a touchdown when Arkansas would have gone up 21 nothing, Or, you know, Brett Bielma saying, hey, let's kick the Christian Kirk. That'll be fine. Uh, and then he returns it for a touchdown. Like, there's just dumb things that happen in that game. But if Arkansas found a way early part of the season to take care of business and win that game, uh, that'll be huge because Arkansas actually plays LSU in September this year. It's their first yeah. SEC game. They've never played – it's never played LSU outside the month of November. It's always been late. This time it's in Baton Rouge. I don't expect Arkansas to win that game. But if you win – if you lose that game to LSU and you beat A&M the next week, things feel great. Yeah. Uh, because you don't want to start 3-2 and two and 0-2 oh in conference play. Yeah. Even if it is A&M and LSU, that's just – you don't want to start off on that front. So to me, it's about that A and M game. I think, and if A and M loses, that could be what sets the things yeah. off for, for Jimbo, and finally to get separated or to get yeah. uh, moving. But I think that's the biggest game for both of these teams to decide who's going to have a good season or at least a better season, and who's going to be in some trouble as the year goes on. Yeah, and I heard someone describe it perfectly yesterday. Arkansas A and M is a fifty-fifty game that somehow. Mm. A&M wins 90% of the time. At some point, that has to flip. Yeah, it's like it's like if you flip a coin 10 times, well, it's 50-50, but that's tails 9 out of 10 times. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, like it's just, <laughs> again, it's, and, but this is my other point, too. Since A&M and Arkansas started playing each other, because A&M and Arkansas played each other even before they joined the SEC, part mm-hmm. of that Southwest Classic, starting in 2009. In, those, in the years Arkansas has beaten Texas A&M since then, they've only beaten them four times. They start off 3-0, but... This is what they did. In 09, they smoked AM. They ended up going 8 and 5. 2010, Arkansas went 10 and 3, lost in the Sugar Bowl to uh, Ohio State. 2011, they went 11 and 2, won the Cotton Bowl against Kansas State. They beat AM those years. 2021, because then the next time they beat AM, and Arkansas went 9 and 4. Yeah. I feel like that is the great indication <laughs> of where the best, those are the four best years Arkansas's had in the past, like. 15 seasons, it seems like. It's like Tennessee and Florida. It's like if you could get past Florida. (laughs) Yes, exactly right. It's the same thing. If you just win those four, if you win that game against A&M, the logic and the history shows you have a great season. That's what it comes down to. I really appreciate your time, John. Before you go, tell the audience where do they find uh, all your work. Yeah, just uh, follow me at Buzz John Neighbors on all social media. Do a radio show out of Little Rock on 103.7 The Buzz from 1 to 4 called Out of Bounds. And you can also check out the Locked On Razorbacks podcast on YouTube and wherever podcasts are found. Number one Razorback podcast in the world, at least for this year. So I'm keeping <laughs> nice. that title as long as I can. Yeah. All right, do thank you, do so you live on a lake? i got to ask. Okay. Do you live on a lake or, or did you cruise last week? You may be the tannest oh. guy I've seen this well, week. You know, it's, uh, first, off, first off, I tan really well. I have a lot of Native American in me. That's one. And two, I was at the beach a week ago, yeah. or two weeks, a week and a half ago. And I was there for a full week. And then this past week, uh, past weekend, I guess it was on Saturday, where yeah, before I came down here, 
Uh, I went out golfing. And, no, I, um, I, I, should, I said, well, he rolled in. I was like, man, I know. somebody was well, on vacation and last what was, week. What was bad, I thought I was going to get sunburned because when I went golfing, I forgot my hat. Yeah. I thought I had it in my truck, and so I didn't wear a hat. Yeah. And, but I had some sunscreen, luckily, so I put that on. But it was just like, yeah. Because everyone's been like, dude, where, where have you been? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't get to stop doing those spray tans. I'm like, man, listen. I was like, I can't eat. I was like, I can't afford, like, half the stuff that I do anyway. Yeah. I was like, I'm not trying to get a spray tan, man. That's you're, a weird You're missing thing. a segment, Weekend at Johnny's or something. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. I, I, I'd be all for it. I'd be all for it. But, yeah, I, I've gotten a lot of people talking about my tan. I'm like, all right, well, I mean, I guess. It's good. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'll take it. Whatever it is, whatever it is. All right, perfect. Thank you. So much. Just will say thanks, John and Ty, for giving us their time. Really appreciate those. But of course, SEC Media Days, the big day, is all about when Nick Saban comes to town and the Crimson Tide. And you know, they strategically do it. I think he's always either on Tuesday or Wednesday, and that thing clears out on Thursday. And a good reason why because Alabama's done with the event, and they're back home. So that was certainly the case, even though it was in Nashville, even though Thursday was South Carolina, Tennessee, and Ole Miss, three great programs, expectations on the rise across the board there. But it was not the same. It never is after Alabama leaves, and uh, that was the case this year too. So uh, let's kick it over. Nick Saban, obviously the quarterbacks. It was This was a big topic. This ain't the cake comments. I didn't. I don't know why everybody went crazy for the carrot, carrot cake and all that, but uh, I thought this was a, a much more valuable comments from Nick Saban on his pending quarterback decision. Video. Out of curiosity, do you recommend any place that you visited this summer? And then the second question is, I know you sought counsel in the past on different phases of the game. What's been your experience studying the two-quarterback system? Well, first of all, the first question is a better question. So, um, you know, everybody knows we went to Italy. It was for our 50th wedding anniversary, which was really in the past. But I kept getting out of going because I didn't really want to go and take 10 days to not be around. But it was a great trip. And I would recommend that anybody go. And Florence is fantastic. Rome is fantastic. The Amalfi Coast is fantastic. And we got roll tided everywhere we went. So if you think you're going to be incognito over there, that's not happening. So, uh, and the second part is, you know, we need for all of our quarterbacks to develop on our team. Uh, I don't think anybody separated themselves to this point, even though I see improvement in each and every guy in terms of how well they're doing and how they're developing. But we need that on our team. We don't just need a starter. We need a backup. We need, you know, good players at that position. Uh, just like Jalen Milrow had the opportunity to play last year, we needed him to be ready in the Arkansas game and the A&M game. So um, when somebody separates themselves and nobody knows for sure when that is, and I can't establish a timetable to say on this date we're going to say this is the starting quarterback. It's going to happen when it happens. And that's the way it'll be. Right side, forward. And I think this is absolutely the right way to handle it. No need to force it. It'll happen when it happens, like Coach Saban says here. And no need to tip your hand. If you're Texas, let Texas – you know, I guarantee we'll see multiple quarterbacks from Alabama in the opener because it's a cupcake. And you want as much prep work necessary for Texas for them to have to do 
on the defensive side of the ball, getting ready for Alabama's offense. Uh, depends on who you ask. Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson. Some people even think it's going to be Tyler Buckner. But, again, no need to rush the decision for Alabama. Championships are on the line here. You cannot afford to screw this up, particularly with that tricky Texas game right out the gate. Won't eliminate you from anything, obviously, but uh, got to get our answer right as SEC season heats up there for Alabama about midway point in the schedule. I thought this was also interesting. Saban didn't take the bait a lot of times down here. He was asked about, you know, being disrespected, being discounted, even though they were the pick to win the West. So, but certainly most people, Cousin Shane excluded, most or maybe Cousin Shane, Cousin Shane's picked everybody to win the SEC, but I think he officially picked Alabama. He may have switched that back to Georgia. I can't recall. But Alabama, the pick to win the West, but not the pick to win the SEC. Here's Nick Saban on Alabama reloading, not rebuilding. They don't do rebuilds in Tuscaloosa. Good morning, Coach. Tony Reese, WTVM out of Columbus, Georgia. The long-term saying, Bama doesn't really lose. They reload. So with the addition of key players going into the draft, I know you guys kind of reload every year. Kind of what's been that going forward this year? Well, I think that that's the way it's going to be. When you have a lot of good players and you do a good job of developing those players as they have at Georgia, we have done that some in the past, you lose four or five guys that are underclassmen, in some cases more, some cases maybe less, instead of having 17 starters back, you got 12. So it impacts your team and makes your team younger. So the challenge is, is how can we develop the young players on our team quickly enough that they're ready to go out and create value for themselves and play winning football? That, that's the challenge. So, uh, and that's what we've had to do in many years. Some years we've done it better than others. Um, so, and that's going to be the challenge for us this year. Now, I really wanted to play those clips because I think it's important to note, even someone like myself has been critical of Nick Saban and some of the decisions this offseason and the coaching last year. I mean, when we say down year for Alabama, it's still 11-1, 10-2. I mean, that, that really is a down year for the Crimson Tide. It's championship or bust down there. And unfortunately for them, Georgia has been the champion two years in a row. We all know that. But, hell, Alabama, even more so than Georgia, I think, the most dangerous team to discount given the history of Nick Saban and his program. And I don't know. I mean, you hear it. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, maybe they were a little too dependent on those players last year, which I think is a fair criticism. But I also think everybody in the country would have taken those players if given the option. Uh, having those guys, I think that's a little bit of a lame excuse that we didn't win at all with two of the best players arguably in the country, maybe the the best two. Uh, so, But the point is, when you got 85 in Tuscaloosa, their 85 is equal or better than anybody in the country, Georgia included, LSU included, Ohio State included. When you give those players doubt in their mind, like Georgia had last year, you give them a little bit of a chip, let them know they're not the pick to win the conference, Hell, all you need is a motivated team. And you sh you bet your ass Nick Saban is going to be motivated for this season. So, something to consider. Obviously, I'll, I'll probably be dead wrong on all my – the more I 
badmouth Alabama, the more confident I am. They're probably going to win the whole damn thing. <laughs> and one last thing for Saban. I just thought this was hilarious. Two things. Someone asked him about playing the, the 3D video game. If you've seen the viral clips, just, just Google Nick Saban video game. It'll pop up. And someone asked him about not playing Ole Miss and Mississippi State in 2024. Come on. You knew this was going to end up as poorly as it did for this this guy asking the question. You like to dominate your opponent on the field. Did you dominate the virtual reality opponent? And what game were you playing in that virtual reality? You know, I, I don't know. You have to explain it to me because I didn't see it. So what, what, what? When, when you were punching with the, with the glasses on, uh, the virtual reality game, to where when you're taking on your opponent and you see him in the video game and you're kind of punching a little bit, it's almost like a little dance your daughter was recording. Yeah, well, I thought I was horrible. I couldn't land a punch, but you could get punched. So that's the only time I've ever done that. And it was a good experience. I can't really give myself a very good grade of how well I performed doing it. That Ole Miss and Mississippi State next year, not on the schedule, I believe that'll be the first time you're not playing either of those schools. Has that kind of crossed your mind? And what are your thoughts on not playing either of those, uh, those teams? We play them this year, though, right? So you think I'm thinking about who we play the next year? I haven't even looked at the schedule yet. So I can't – no, I haven't given that any thought at all. Now, to get some inside knowledge on Alabama, there's no one better than Pat Smith, WJOX radio host, three-man front, co-creator of the Paul Feinbaum Show. Uh, it was an honor getting to know Pat a little bit better down at SEC Media Day. Spent some time with him. He was telling us some uh, stories off the record that were – that were truly, truly great. But uh, this interview is great. Everything we could share with it, at least. We <laughs> we turned the cameras off. It got even a little bit better. But that's a, saying a lot, considering how great this interview is with Pat Smith talking Alabama and Auburn. Well, please be joined. First time on, Pat Smith. First time I was invited. <laughs> that's <laughs> Jump true. On it. That's true. You recently had me on your show, Three Man Front Host. Yep. And, of course, everybody that knows you knows co-founder of the Paul Feinbaum Show. So it's an honor to have you on this program. Absolutely. Well, thank you. But, you know, sometimes that could be a curse. A lot of people, <laughs> you say the F word and it kind of comes back to get you. So you got to be careful. So you, I know you and particularly your listeners, you had me on after I was one of my Feinbaum appearances. Yeah, you, you had some interesting <laughs> comments about, uh, about Nick Saban yeah, and the, and and the, the program. I call it the decaying dynasty, which you and your listeners were very, very quick to, to point out. That's not even close to accurate in your guys minds but what would it take to get there i mean if we're if we go eight and four next year at alabama is, is it a dynasty in decline i'm not sure if you would say a, a dynasty in decline but i will tell you that if they end up losing more than two games this year and not getting back to atlanta that there's going to be a, a lot more nervousness and hand-wringing because just like any fan base they've been spoiled in regards to what has happened over mm-hmm. the course of you know nick saban's career in right. tuscaloosa and when you get into a situation where perhaps you have, whether it's LSU getting back to Atlanta and, or Georgia winning another national championship, some folks, you know, maybe the not, the not as educated as a football fan, but they'll be very quick to point out that, hey, we might need to talk about the who's in charge of the, the head you know, coaching position at Alabama, which is crazy to say, but right. they're so used to, you know, winning so many games and playing for championships that – you know, I don't think they view it as decaying, but there will be some that will say, okay, you know, Nick Saban is 
in his early 70s. Right. What's the plan moving forward? Yeah. What's your confidence level that uh, Nick Saban wins at least one more national championship? Oh, wow. You know, seeing what's going on around the conference, uh, I would say the confidence level is not as high as it was last year. Mm -hmm. You don't have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback coming back. you got new coordinators left and right. You know, it's one thing that Alabama had going in its favor last year, and you saw how it turned out. So I think that's the nervousness around this Alabama program right now from the fan perspective, not the actual program itself. Because, listen, Nick Saban's going to take everything that he's heard from SEC media days, which – is LSU is going to be the team to beat in the SEC West. Kirby's going to win his third championship in a row. And little old Nick Saban's going to sit back there and go, you know what, we're going to, we're going to use that for motivation, guys, to get everybody pumped up. Yeah. I, I imagine that David Pollock video, he'd just play that on repeat. Yeah, that, that would do. Because I will tell you, um, so back in uh, 2009 when Alabama won its first national championship, so 2008, if you remember the SEC championship game, they took Tim Tebow to the fourth quarter. Tim Tebow had a great fourth quarter. Bama had the lead yeah. going into the fourth quarter. Tebow, incredible fourth quarter. Florida ends up winning the SEC championship. Alabama's just like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe we got so close. Beating Florida didn't happen. All that next year in the offseason, whether it was in the weight room, walking around the facility, Saban had that game tape yeah. on every TV in, in the <laughs> – seriously, in the football offices – Reminding everybody, you see, we didn't finish. Right. You know, it was part of the process, but we did not finish. And because of that, that was their motivation going into 2009. And we saw what happened. They beat Florida, Absolutely. beat Timbo, Tebow. Then they sent Urban Meyer to early retirement, <laughs> you know. And so then all of a sudden the, the so-called dynasty started. So right. to give a long answer to your original question, I think there are legitimate questions surrounding this program in regards to where it is currently in the SEC and yeah. seeing what else is going on. So I think that's a fair question. Um, just but using the word decay kind of made <laughs> made some people a lot more nervous than probably well, they should be. And I'm kind of opposite with Mike here. I, I got Bama first in the West. I, I think that a decay, I, I, I don't see that happen. I think some – why why are – why are we sleeping on Alabama? Why is why is the fan? Why is everybody sleeping on them right now? Well, I'll tell you why. Because historically speaking, the two games that they lost yeah. last year, they won. But people seem to forget about some of those other games that they actually won last year. Whether it was Texas A and M, whether it was the Ole Miss game, you know, there were games. Texas game, you know, there could have been three other games that. Mm-hmm. Could have maybe gone the other direction. Right. So you know you're looking at a potential. Oh my gosh, I hate to say this, but a a seven and five Alabama team based on what could have happened last year. Um, I think you just look around the landscape. What's going on? They're still recruiting. You look at the roster. I mean, you put it up against you know right. Georgia. If Alabama had you know a returning quarterback that everybody felt pretty confident, in, I think you're having a conversation where Alabama would be the overwhelming yeah. pick this next week. But because Jaden Daniels is back. I think that changes the whole conversation. Yeah. I almost feel like it's uh, he did it to himself, though, because Nick Saban has dominated the SEC to such an extent that he has essentially gotten every institution at least once to fire their football coach. <laughs> and that's why we got Kirby, because Mark's, Mark Rick was a very great coach. Yeah. But he, was, he couldn't get him over the top, so very they got true. Kirby. LSU, commitment with Brian Kelly. I would even say Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, Josh Heupel, on and on and on. I mean, he is surrounded by great coaches that that have elevated their programs. And I, I don't I don't think to the degree these programs would have invested if not for Nick Saban just being 
uh, dominant around the SEC. I agree with you 100%, Mike. And you think about what has happened with the arms race when it comes to the SEC in regards to whether it's not only on the, on the recruiting trail, but it's the facilities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the war of the facilities. You know, Bama, okay, they first want to have a waterfall, you know, in, in their players' <laughs> area. First have a gaming room. Then all That's of right. a sudden, everybody else started doing it. And then we're going to build a, you know, million dollars worth of academic center. Then all of a sudden, everybody else started doing it. So, you know, Nick Saban has always tried to, to be on the – I guess the cusp of, you know, the next yeah. round of things. But you have to keep in mind, Kirby Smart took that blueprint mm-hmm. that yeah. he saw, and he was a huge reason why Alabama had that success that they did and took it to Athens. And just like what Nick did when he came to Tuscaloosa, which was this is the blueprint, stay out of my way. Yeah, mm-hmm. This is what we need. I don't need assistant um, ADs, I don't need people from the you know, board of trustees. I don't need all these people. You hire me to do a job. This is what we need to do. They stand out of his way. That's why Alabama got on the roll it did, and Kirby's doing the same thing. Right. And I think other coaches, when they get that power at certain schools, they're going to do the exact same thing. How much uh, you know, run, so to speak, did you guys get out of uh, Jimbo and, and Nick going at it about a me? year ago? I mean, <laughs> Are you I, kidding me? I, I, you know, I wish I was the one that was at the uh, – you know, it was right down the street from the radio station at the club there in Birmingham when he, when he said those infamous yeah. comments. And all of us in Birmingham were going, thank you. Thank you, because now we have got about three, four, five, six months and knowing that Jimbo – was going to be coming to Tuscaloosa. Yes. I mean, we immediately started running a liner on the show, you know, X number of days until Jimbo <laughs> Fisher comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium. So, oh, it was, a, it was a godsend. This time of the year? Really? Oh, yeah. Were you surprised how quickly that went away, though? Or was that just the SEC stepping in and I was I mean, ma- clearly, right? I was making sure Commissioner Sankey can't hear me. <laughs> yeah, he's around the corner. Um, no, you know, I think the commissioner did what a commissioner is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You get on the phone with the people that are – Having this open debate, not even really a debate, is kind of two children yelling at each other yeah. and basically say, hey, we're not going to do that. You right. know, we're, we're right. going to keep our problems in-house. You know, we've got issues. Let's discuss them. So, you know, I think they were very quick. You know, after, you know, remember Jimbo had the comments at that original press conference that really sent everybody into a tizzy. And then he had another interview with a Houston television station that basically kind of doubled down on what he had said a couple of days before. And then after that, I think that's when the SEC decided, you know what, guys, you know, yeah. let's take care of it. That's why you saw when they got to Destin a couple months later, a couple weeks later, whatever it was, that it was all, right. you know, okay. Right. You know, we were all anticipating fireworks there, and it just never came. Never, and I, never I, knew came. That, I knew it was going to go away after that. Yeah. But once again, we – hey – we love it, right? <laughs> we love it. I mean, whether it was whether it was Jimbo and Nick, or it was Lane Kiffin, or Brian Kelly, it didn't matter. I mean, as long as we get the content, we're we're good to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, fans always get excited over a new hire. Hugh Freeze is who I want to talk about next. But it's different now with the transfer portal with NIL. You can flip it quicker than ever. Uh, but is that? A, I mean, obviously that's good for Auburn, but it's bad, I think, for expectations because I I'm already here, and I know you are. Fans are wondering, can we win nine, ten games? And maybe that's not totally unrealistic, but that should certainly not be the expectation year one, should it? No, it should not be. And, and I think right now they want to get to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if yeah. they can get six, they're going to be happy. Guys, I, I can't tell you how bad Brian Harson was. And I'm talking about <laughs> not only on the field and the halftime adjustments and just coaching in general, but he took that Auburn program back years by the lack of recruiting and the way that his organization was set up. I mean, he really believed 
that he could take his Jimmy and Joes and, and beat Nick Saban or Kirby Smart right. without him going out and getting a four and a five-star, okay? His relationships with the high school coaches in the state of Alabama, awful, terrible. You had legacies at the Auburn football program whose parents and, and grandparents played at Auburn and gave money to Auburn. You're talking about like good three, four, yeah. even some five-star talent that never got a call from Auburn to come visit campus or, or get a visit from a coach. That's how bad it was. Even guys that committed because, not because of Harson, but because it was Auburn and it was an SEC school. Once he started firing coaches in midseason, those position coaches that were recruiting those players to come to Auburn, it was weeks went by before Brian Harson or anybody from Auburn picked up the phone to call them to try to keep them in the stable <laughs> to go to Auburn. So my, the picture that I'm painting is a very true one which was he could have set Auburn recruiting back five, ten years if yeah. they had just given him one more year. So I think what Auburn did – now what Auburn did to get to the point to fire him with all that ridiculous investigation, just that was crap, you know, what right. they did. That was wrong what they did. But for firing him for the purposes of, of him not doing his job as an SEC head football coach, hands down, um, should have been done. And I think now with Hugh Freeze, he knows the conference – he knows what it takes. He's got good. He's already he's already built those bridges back with the okay. Alabama high school coaches, and so that's why you're seeing he had to go in the portal to fix all the mess that Brian Harson didn't do. But mark my word, the recruiting in the state of Alabama, which we got some good talent, yeah. he has been able to kind of mend those fences, and more kids now are looking at Auburn than what they did before with Brian Harson. So you see that trending differently, more recruiting. Let's just pick a few guys out of the portal that we really need. Had to. Yeah. Had to. I'm telling you. The offensive line, my teammate on jocks, Cole Kublik, he'll tell you the exact same thing. Offensive line play has been horrible. Yeah. In the trenches, horrible. And, I mean, you're you're watching a game, and I know you guys watch it from a 30,000-foot view, but me having to deal with it every single day with Alabama and Auburn, you, saw, you did not see SEC talent. Yeah. I mean, no offense to Mizzou, but Mizzou should have won that game in Jordan-Hare yeah. Stadium. Yeah. There's no reason why. Auburn should have won that game. But you look on the field, that's not SEC caliber talent that they had. So he had to go out and fill those trenches right. and get that roster built back up. So that's why this next year from a recruiting standpoint with incoming freshmen yeah. will be much bigger than what it was. Can I ask on that note, just because there are going to be a lot of new faces mm -hmm. down there, is there anybody that we should probably have our eyes on or somebody that becomes a household name at the end of the year? Well, obviously the quarterback situation is going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people were, were really excited about Robbie Ashford. I mean, listen, watching him in high school, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the state of Alabama. He goes off to Oregon for a year. He's also a fantastic baseball player, better yeah. baseball player than he is football player. A lot of people were shocked that when he came to Auburn that he wasn't able to solidify himself as the quarterback. But you had Brian Harson, yeah, that was yeah. trying to teach him, and it just never meshed. So, you know, with the new quarterback coming in from Michigan State, a lot of people are excited about that. But they believe, based on what Hugh Freeze was able to do with Malik Willis, yeah, who came from Auburn, yeah, to Liberty, they're excited about Robbie Ashford's potential. So, I'm not really sure that you're going to see anybody right now. One of those big names, right. I mean, they got like 21 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can kind of throw a dartboard at the yeah. roster and go, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> Um, but I go back to the quarterback because we yeah. all know you got if you're going to win in this league, you're going to have to have a quarterback. goes back to our original conversation with LSU and Alabama. That's why LSU is yep. getting all the talk because Jaden Daniels with the three question marks at Alabama 
you're going to put your money probably on Quarterback Jay Daniels. controversy all in that state, man. We <laughs> don't know who's going to be playing. I'm you, hey, listen, we love it. I mean, we do not want a starter named yeah. until, like, the week of the game. Who do you think it is? Both – Alabama, Auburn, week one, who's the starting quarterbacks? Um, for me, it's got to – I, I got to go with who they brought in. Yeah. I mean, if you're recruiting a guy out of the portal, I would find it really hard to believe that somebody is going to go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go there, and I know they say the right things, I'm going to compete right. for the job. But, you know, they have other opportunities out of the portal. Not saying you get a guarantee, but, you know, you're like, okay, reason why Thorne's going to Auburn, he's going to have the inside track. Buckner's former offensive coordinator is now the offensive coordinator at Alabama. I think that there was probably like, look, you come here, you're QB1 unless, you know, something happens, you break your ankle or, you know, do something like that. So, for me, week one, I think obviously it's who I just said out of the portal. That's who the two schools are going to go with. I was really surprised. I can be honest with you. I don't watch Liberty football. I never even heard of Liberty until Hugh Freeze got down there and they started making some noise. But I was used to RPO, wide open. Then I watched them play Arkansas. I know Arkansas was banged up in that game, but they won that game because they were more physical than a Sam Pittman coach team, which kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. But credit to Hugh Freeze for uh, you know getting that out of his team. Now with uh, Philip Montgomery as offensive coordinator, Ron Roberts as defensive coordinator, what, what's the anticipation of what they'll look like? You, are they going to go more with that uh, Baylor offense, you think? I think you are going to see that. The biggest issue going on with Auburn, and it's it's what plagued Alabama last year, was the inconsistency at wide receiver. Yeah. You know, Alabama had two or three guys, a lot of four- and five-star guys that Alabama had, but they couldn't catch the ball. Auburn needs playmakers on the outside. They've got guys. They've got dudes currently on the roster that's been developed over the last couple of years. But if they can get the consistency at the wideout position, get the ball out into space to some of these guys, that's what Hugh's going to do a really good job doing. Harson was just not very, you know, didn't have a good imagination when it came to that. He's used yeah. to that West Coast stuff and playing the likes in the Mountain West. You know, he wasn't used to playing Kirby Smart and, and Nick Saban and, and even right. Sam Pittman and guys like that. So um, I think you're going to see the offense going to have that Hugh Freeze touch to it. But I think, you know, Philip Montgomery, a lot of people are excited about what, you know, he tried to do at Tulsa. I know Tulsa's Tulsa, but still a lot of history there. And I think uh, Hugh Freeze is going to get the most out of those guys. More pressure on Alabama or Texas week two when the Longhorns come to town because, I don't know, I, it's hard to see Alabama having a great year if they don't win that game. Texas, I mean, Sark's got a lot on the line, but I would imagine, you know, if they lose that game, that's going to everyone will anticipate them to lose that game. Well, that, that is being at Bryant-Denny Stadium and having the atmosphere that, of course, it was crazy in Austin last year, but you had Bryce Young. Um, it's not going to be the end of the world if Alabama loses that game to Texas. I think it's more important for Sarkeesian because, yes, he's picked to win the Big 12 in their final year in the conference, but there's a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, for him to take care of Alabama in Alabama's backyard, then all of a sudden he has a little play money, so to speak, if he does stub his toe against Iowa State. Or, you know, just somebody in the Big 12 like he has no business doing. That's going to go a long way on his Wikipedia page Mm -hmm. by knocking off Nick Saban at Alabama Place. I think they've lost eight games total since he has been – you know, the I think coach. only two in the last decade. We yeah. looked that up recently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's it's crazy to think that. So initially, and for you got the, him third. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I will be using that on the show, by the way. I will be using that on the show. Um, so, for to me, it's the more pressure it's for Sarkeesian because Alabama fans will just quickly dispel it and go, it's not a conference game yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll write the ship. You know, okay, that quarterback that we thought was going to be QB1, we've got two more right here. Next yep. guy up, we got SEC play to worry about. Yeah. So nothing's lost. But, you know, with Texas A&M, Tennessee, then that big one in early November against LSU, and then Auburn's always a tough game. Yeah. I don't need to tell you guys. Yeah. You go to Jordan Hare, that place is rocking, and Hugh will have that place going, you know, better than Harson did. Yep. It's a tough schedule. <laughs> tough schedule. Well, Pat, I can't thank you enough. Uh, before you go, can you tell the audience where can they find your work? Absolutely. At Pat Smith Radio. You can hear me weekdays, 10 to noon, Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. Thank you so thank much. You. Guys, appreciate it. Fan of your work. Thank you. All right, next team up, Kentucky. The buzz from media days, everybody basically has Kentucky circled as that dark horse team in the SEC. This is becoming a very, very popular pick. I know. I realize they catch Alabama this year. Final year, somebody had to do it out of the East, and it was Kentucky, unfortunately. They got to play in Athens. So everyone's discounting them from a potential run to Atlanta, and that's exactly where Mark Stoops and company want to be, particularly after a disappointing season where they didn't live up to the hype. Their star quarterback didn't live up to it, got banged up. We all know the story. But what people may not realize, and clearly they are starting to come around to it, but the additions in the transfer portals, we've been singing singing these praises for months. Devin Leary at quarterback, Ray Davis at running back. Uh, I believe Marquise Cox is the guy's name at left tackle, who's just a beast there from northern Illinois who actually played against Kentucky last season. But if these if they hit on those trio of guys, it's not outlandish to say Kentucky could have the most improved offense in the entire country. Uh, let's kick it over to Mark Stoops talking the transfer portal and what it is doing for Kentucky this offseason. Coach, you guys brought in a lot of players in the transfer portal, in particular on offense, Devin Leary, Ray Davis, and a lot of guys in the offensive line. I don't ask, do you believe that the transfer portal, do you believe it helps or hurts the parity of the sport? Or, or widens or decreases the gap between the talent between teams? Yeah, I think at this point, you know, that, that's hard to say. It's a great question. I'd say probably creates a little more parity. You know, just what, what the good and the bad from that is we're all in the same situation, right? So if you feel like maybe you're gaining on a team and maybe they don't have the guy at the right position or a weakness, they could just go out and fix it in free agency. And so uh, that's the bad thing because – uh, you know, some of the, the teams that are competing for championships each and every year are still going to be uh, going and getting those top free agents. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, but we've done very well in the portal. And, and as I say a lot, and people may get tired of it, but, it, you know, the situation is what it is. So we better do it the best we can and worry about Kentucky and handle my backyard the best I can. And Stoops also talked about uh, his star quarterback, Devin Leary, his emerging leadership in that locker room, that is something that I think is always overlooked and discounted. When you add these players via the transfer portal, Joe Burrow, you know, he had to go through it. He was, We all know Joe Burrow now as arguably the best quarterback in LSU history, maybe SEC history for that one season. But when he got there, it was not 
a guaranteed he was going to be the starter. Uh, many other cases, Hendon Hooker, another one at Tennessee. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. You have to come in here, and you have got to earn the respect of the locker room, and that is the process that Devin Leary is going through. Will Levis, same thing at Kentucky a couple years ago. Uh, you bring these guys in to start, yes, but there's no guarantees. JT Daniels was a guarantee until he wasn't. Uh, there are many more like him, too. So uh, how's that going with Devin Leary in Lexington? Let's kick it over to Mark Stoops. What's impressed you most about Devin Leary? Um, I think just uh, his work ethic, his attitude. You know, you saw the talent on film. You know, you knew what you were getting. A uh, very good football player. and, and uh, But I just really like him as a young man. You know, the way that he's coming in, trying to earn his way, earn the player's respect, the coach's respect. You know, we, you know, some guys come in and, and you know, it, it, it's just nice to see him um, kind of finding his voice, finding that leadership role and, and kind of commanding that through time. doesn't just happen overnight. And, uh, you know, I think he just wants to put his head down and lead and uh, be a great quarterback and, and lead that offense and, and help us win football games. And then one last thing I thought uh, this was pretty interesting, not something that I had thought about, but – Given Liam Cohen's return as offensive coordinator after being a year uh, away with the L.A. Rams as their offensive coordinator, yes, that's going to provide a spark and hopefully fix the issues we had on the offensive side of the ball. But the players in Kentucky, a lot of them recruited to Lexington during that one year Liam Cohen was there, so they're going to fit his scheme. But interesting point by Mark Stoops here. These players got confidence in their offensive coordinator because they know what he can do. They have seen it for themselves. Uh, just not something that I had kind of thought about, but uh, makes a great point here. Jimmy Himes with the Sports Animal in Knoxville. Coach, uh, talk a little bit about having Leon Cohen back as your offensive coordinator. And has he brought any new wrinkles from his yeah. first stop? Yeah, it's, it's really great having Liam back. I think the big thing for us is the familiarity is there. You know, he, he knows what to expect from me. I know what to expect from him. It's, it's not always easy. It's not going to happen just because we had success before that it's going to happen overnight. Um, I think with Liam, you know, he brings an energy and a juice in the building that's important and a belief to our players. And, and I think even more so because you did see that first year, you know, when I hired him, he was kind of a relatively unknown. He didn't, he hadn't been in that situation yet in called plays at that level and at the SEC level. So the fact that he did that and had success and went on to the Rams and then comes back, I think uh, the confidence level from our players, from our team, from the organization is, is higher than it once was. Now for our Kentucky Insider interview, this is a real treat here. Anytime we get to talk to Nick Roush or Adam Luckett, we got them both at the same time from Kentucky Sports Radio 11 personnel. If you're not already listening to the 11 personnel podcast and you're a Kentucky fan, I don't know what you're doing with your life because you're missing out. Let's kick it over to this really fun conversation with Nick Roush and Adam Luckett. All right, we're here. One of our absolute favorites, the 11 personnel, Nick Roush, Adam Luckett, Kentucky Sports Radio. And Nick, he brought a present here for Cousin I, I, I would Normally I'd say I'm happy to be here, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not because, yeah, I, I owe you one, Shane. So <laughs> hold on to this for me. I, like it. I got um, 
Well, some of Kentucky's finest brown water for a uh, game. Oh, there you go. Right. Craig. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, Thank don't so don't much. enjoy that, please. Like I, I hope you we hate it. Keep that brown bag. I hope you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt a little awkward walking around. <laughs> um, but Shane, I I know the first bourbon bet got off to a rocky start yes. for my team, but I'm willing to run it back because the Cats are at home uh-huh. against the Vols this year. There's going to be a quarterback controversy. And will will it be Milton or will it be the volleyball player? We don't know. And <laughs> what we do know is that the Kroger Field is going to be rocking when Tennessee comes to town yeah. in October. Absolutely, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. I think this is going to be. Are you? Let me ask you on this bet because uh, everybody knows that we do this bourbon bet. Are you worried that that this potentially goes to a biannual game? I, I mean, there was a rumor floating around that Tennessee and Kentucky wouldn't be one of those annual matchups anymore you know yes and no because here's the thing like it's um it's like the tennessee to me is like a bad girlfriend that you just keep going back to (laughs) and like i i want to have that game around because i want to beat him and it'll feel so good yeah but at the same time i just know i'm gonna get my heart ripped out again yeah you know that that girl's gonna rip it out she's gonna stomp all over it but then i'm still gonna be sending you up text so i (laughs) I am worried it's going to go away, but part of me might be like, well, I won't have to deal with those stinking balls for yeah. another year. Well, and it's a little cheaper if you're not buying bourbon every year. Shame. You know? Yeah. <laughs> really just saw the open wound. <sighs> I, all that heartbreak talk, I thought we were interviewing Marler again. Uh, let me ask you, Adam, why do you think, uh, or at least what gives you confidence most that Kentucky can fish your- uh, fix their issues on the offensive line because I think that's so critical to to the entire season, basically. Yeah, I mean, can't get worse. Like, I mean, it literally <laughs> cannot get worse. I, I mean, let's start there. I think they went and got some guys from the portal. I think are going to be a level up, but it's not like Kentucky's very much. I think if they hit their peak in offense, they'd be middle of the pack. Like, I mean, if they if everything went glowingly, it might be like the sixth or seventh best offensive line in the SEC. So I don't think the ceiling's really high, but I think the floor, just from an experience standpoint, like they had no experience, they had guys playing out of position. Now those guys playing out of position are going to be playing in position. They've got actual true tackles that can play somewhat, and they played at the, a high level against Power 5 competition. So I think, and not only that, I think Cohen just being in there, Liam Cohen replacing Rich Gangarello, I think that's going to streamline yeah. a lot of stuff. Um, behind the scenes, there was a lot, like, uh, information overload, I would say. I think a lot of – it's a good way to put it, yeah. Processing was a kind huge way. deal for the whole, I think, offensive organization, coach to player. Uh, and I think with Cohen, he, from what I've heard, master communicator is really able to simplify things a lot. And I think that was one thing Scangarello struggled with was um, just being too complex, you know, keep it simple, stupid. I think that that's maybe a model they're going to have uh, in the offensive room. And, I, I, and we've seen Cohen do it before. I mean, we've seen him put together a top 25 offense. And he's got weapons, so and they got the quarter. We, at least we think they got the quarterback, and that, that should go a long way. And Eli Cox yesterday was down here at SEC Media Days, and he he used the term "bogged down." And as a like an offensive line, it's not like if a receiver runs the wrong route, the quarterback can just look the other way. Offensive line, like all five guys, got to be on the same page, and they just they weren't last year. They weren't the newcomers. There's going to be a. a a learning curve, right? Like they, they've got to feel each other out. Um, 
But, like, even in fall camp last year, there were guys getting hurt and then guys switching positions. They didn't even have their – they didn't know who their first five were until the first week of the game. Like, that just yeah. – it's a recipe for disaster. So the, the pieces are there for them to be really good on offense if the offensive line doesn't suck. I mean, right. if they're just – like I said, if they're middle of the road in the conference, Kentucky's got a real chance to be a dangerous offense, I think, this year. But the, the, you can't get around it. That's the elephant in the room. We're not going to really know until we mm-hmm. get to see – Dumb in games. You don't know until you know. Well, yeah. you know, Stoops was out here the other day, and one of the things he said is, uh, you know, we want to get back to physical ball, you know. And, and I think Kentucky got a little finesse there a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, but it's hard not to when you're looking at what you're bringing in, new quarterback, yeah. this fantastic wide receiver room. Ray Davis, under the radar, we mm-hmm. were really high on him last year. I think he's going to be a fantastic I voted him all SEC in, on my ballot. Yeah. Oh. So what? do you expect more of – a running game coming back with Kentucky and Cohen? That's a great question because we've talked about this a lot. Personnel-wise, they're built to drop back, throw it, get the ball to Barry Brown, Dan Key, right. get, get the ball to the tight ends. And then in the running back room, they have Ray Davis, and they, they've added transfers. Like, they have a deep running back room, but I don't think it's going to be like a bell cow type situation. So you're gonna, I think you're going to have heavy personnel kind of usage there. But the passing game has kind of got to lead the way, at least to me. Yeah. Because you really don't – even the offensive linemen they got, I think both of them, the both of the tackles might be, I would say, more pass pro maybe first yeah. as yeah. players. But that's important because with Lear's injury history, you got to protect the asset. Yeah. So I, that's going to be the tight rope I think they need to walk. And that's one concern I have about the offense going – because we know what Stoops wants to do. Yeah. Like, he wants to win games 14 to 10. If you could, if you could get him on true serum, and he, that would be <laughs> 10 7. Like, Run the damn ball. Like Nick Saban said the other day on the SEC Network, he was like, you know, we get so stretched out on defense now. It's hard. Like, yeah, I wish we could just get back in, you know, and play in between the hashes and just beat the yeah. crap out of each other. But that's just not what, how they do it anymore. Yeah. But for Kentucky, I do think that's going to be kind of a tightrope they're going to have to walk a little bit because for the first time I think this needs to be a pass-heavy offense or at least lean that way. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not talking air raid levels, Mike Leach levels of pass-heavy, but, like, Leary needs to be a guy that throws it 35 or 36 right. times a game. Well, yeah. And what is that? That's different for Stoops with how he's managed games in the past. Well, in the way that – because I, I, I brought it up to Stoops as well, and he's like, yes, we need to get those guys the ball, but the Liam Cohen, the Rams system under McVay – it's running to set up the pass. He's like, yeah. that's why I brought him here, is that it's part of – it's an important part of the offense is being able to run the ball. And Cohen said as much too, like, we have to be able to run the ball on third and one and get the first down. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes you just got to get some hard yards. We got to have that. I think Ray Davis can be the guy that does it. But to your in, instead of maybe it was uh, – what what do we say? 40-60 run or pass run. Like, maybe you, maybe you flip it uh, mm-hmm. this time and, and then that can work. But I – to your point, I don't. Chris Rodriguez ain't walking through that door, right? Like it's yeah. guys aren't getting twenty five carries a game. Right. Yeah. Now, since I went back and watched Devin Leary at, at NC State, I've said Kentucky's getting an upgrade at quarterback. Now that may be a bold comment because Will Levis, highest drafted Kentucky quarterback since Tim Couch, got to be right. Yep. yep. Uh, but I think when I say that, people think it's just my pure hatred for Will Levis. So I'm curious to know your guys' thought. What, what's your confidence level that Devin Leary this season is an upgrade over Will Levis last season? Yeah. The one thing I know is the coordinator QB combo is an upgrade, and that's mainly for the guy holding the play sheet. I yeah. mean, that is where the biggest – that's the – like, I think you can make an argument that is the biggest personnel 
upgrade in the whole conference. You, you, all, you all think no, that no, no, you, Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher, one yeah. of the one of those. Three. <laughs> you, you all, you all think Mike doesn't like Will Levis. This guy, Coach Rich, it was halfway through last year he had steamrolled out. <laughs> so that alone, I think, I think your things are going to be a lot easier. I think for the offense this year. Last yeah. year it was it was hard to do almost anything, Nick. I mean, getting placed into called into the huddle. There was moments where Levis is screaming at the sideline because they hadn't had the. They could get right. the play call in. They're getting delay of games on like important downs yeah. because the the operation wasn't there. And I mean, the biggest thing is like I I just think they're just different players. Devin Leary and Will yeah, Levis. Yeah. Like Will Levis is a big physical athlete, whereas Leary, the words they used yesterday to describe him were ball placement, command, control. Like he, JJ Weaver was shocked at how fast Devin Leary could just get the ball to where it needed to be. Right, and that's. That was a problem. Like, Levis' biggest knock on him, the reason why he didn't get taken in the first round, he had a slow processor, right? Things weren't going quick enough. That's Leary's strength. So, while I'm not ready to get into who's whom's better than whom's, I will happily concede that Devin Leary's better than Will Levis if we're spending New Year's at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Levis has a higher ceiling, but I think the floor is probably higher with Leary. Yeah. And then you combine that with, you know, a lot is riding on Cohen. We think he's going to be pretty good. You combine that with the weapons Kentucky has, and if you get a good, if your offensive line can hold up, that should lead to good things, I think. Now, I know I've really needled Kentucky when I get one of two people to react on social media, and I got both of them Matt Jones, Vince Morrow, both of them <laughs> here recently when I said Mark Stoops, C coach. That's his little little. It's actually C plus. I I missed the plus. Uh, what what was your boy's reaction when I said Mark Stoops C C plus coach for his? And this is ten years of data. So this when a guy's one or two years in, the the data is is a little off. But ten years, it you are what your what your record says you are. I never would have graduated if you were my teacher, Mike. <laughs> and I know Sean Hell. That's a hard. Gra- well, because here's I, I think part of like. If you're saying if it's all even playing field and you're saying Mark Stoops can't win a national championship, these guys can, so I'm going to give them an A, right? Well, no, like I'm, I'm using a, a formula. Dave Bartu invented it, not me. Mm-hmm. And these schools pay him when they have coaching openings to, to find position coaches. And it's very simple. How much talent you have, how much talent the opponent has, and where the game is played. So if Mark Stoops beats – Miami right. of Ohio, he doesn't get a bump. If, See, he, if he wins at Florida, that's a bump. If he well, loses at home to Vanderbilt, that's a minus. It's a very simple grade. Well, where it doesn't factor in is, like, he's really good at hiring coordinators. Right. Like, Not the last know, one. What I would say. Like Matt House yeah. at LSU yeah, yeah. now, Brad White, John Summerall won 10 well, games. Yeah, but you're defense. Defense and defense personnel and structure and what they do and how they, saw, and how they scheme up against teams. I mean, Brad, the only thing Brad White really hasn't figured out is tenant, like, to hype all yet. Right. Everyone else, they, I mean, you know. I mean, they, they got Georgia, you know, 17 points, right, in your yep. one-score game. Like, well, they figured it out on defense, and that's where his strength is, which yeah. you would think, defensive side of the ball. They figured out it's the offense that's really been the issue for the, his whole tenure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's Liam Cohen and a bunch, you know, Eddie Grant did some good things, but it's Liam Cohen and a bunch of busts. Right. Really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, we're, if we're really being honest about it, they, they churn through coordinators here. That's where he, I think what weakness would be. Mm-hmm. And if they ever figured that that out, then, you know, they could be cooking with gas. And that's why they've got this 
this duo now in 2021, that was a big part of them, I think, having that breakthrough type season was yeah. because of the coordinators. And now they got now they got them back, and it's can you keep them for two, three, four years and see what, and see what you can while. do? Right. But you're telling me what it stoops is strengths, weaknesses. I would say, you know, offense, off building that has been a big weakness for him. But strength, like he's built, like they're a top 15 defense, and everybody's just like, oh, Kentucky's gonna be top 15 defense. I, at Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. And, and really what it comes down to is he's an A plus Kentucky football coach, but in the SEC, how in the pecking order, he's got the longevity. Yeah. But there isn't, um, you know, like uh, people aren't like shaking their bootstraps when they see him on the schedule yet. Yeah. You know, uh, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, it, by that same model, Brad White is rated as the SEC's best defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So you can't completely exactly. make the model. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, I right. think it's fairly I'll accurate. I'll tell you one thing that he's, he's nailing it out of the home. I mean, is the transfer portal. Yep. Yeah. You look yeah. at the last two, three years, I mean, he's he's not going out there and just getting anybody. He's getting NFL talent mm-hmm. and bringing it to uh, Kentucky. So maybe that's the, the, you know, maybe that will help the ratings well, yep. at some point. But, and that uh, can be the great equalizer, too, yeah. because, I mean, you can get better at recruiting, but there's still just a limit. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in the high school ranks. Like, there's just. Yeah. So the hard ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in the portal, the Stoops' kind of approach. I think resonates with a lot of guys who are like, I need to maximize this last year or two I got. Yep. Yep. And Stoops was just a straight shooter, no bull crap. Like, this is how we do that. Um, and I thought he mentioned when he was talking about Ray Davis, like, and when he's like, as soon as we met him, we were like, okay, this guy's a fit for us. He he gets it. And even even Eli said that about the offensive line, line when they brought in. Like, they're, they're, one, they're, they're one of us, right? Yeah. Like, they're guys that aren't going to – Put up a bull crap, like we're you know, I gotta have my way or the highway, like they're gonna yeah. do the work. Yeah. Just just look at quarterbacks. Like we can say what we want about Levis, but he was a backup at Penn State and he became a second round yep. draft pick at Kentucky. Right. He now had you, more rush attempts and pass attempts yeah. when he got to Kentucky. Now you get you know, now you get that allowed you to get maybe the top quarterback or one of the tops in Larry and you could turn him into a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. just that they alone. They just signed a five star or not that, signed, but that alone because Kentucky struggled to recruit quarterbacks, like that alone shows you what the portal can, if you're using it efficiently and, right. and successfully, you can you can but get you can you got a track record. Yeah. You got a track when yeah. you're in this kid's living room, saying, "Hey, come to Kentucky. We're going to give you that opportunity to have yeah. that spotlight on you." I, I think and that's a, the next chapter and a here. Trickle down effect with that too. It's like, oh, we've got guys in the NFL that yeah. then the sell the high school kid gets easier because you're actually producing at that position where it was an issue for a long time, and now it's really not an issue. Yeah, like Wondell well, Robinson comes here. Wondell <laughs> Robinson comes one year. Go over a thousand yards, and their the receiver oh, recruiting flipped yeah. overnight. They get Barry yeah. on Brown, top one hundred recruit from here in Nashville. Like they, they yeah. don't get that if they don't hit in the portal right. with Wondell. Boy, that so. one hurt. Now, uh, final question <laughs> I got for you boys. I know you, you, you know we because of our relationship, you're looking to that Tennessee game because it's so big. But the Florida game, I think that is that is the one Kentucky fans need to be circling. They own Florida right now, which is wild. After to Mark Stoops' credit, for years and years, Florida literally owned Kentucky. They've completely flipped that on its head. Is that the game where if Kentucky drops it, I don't see how they have a great I'll season. I'll go a step ahead of you. The Vanderbilt game is – Well, I didn't even want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is the – But we can't make that joke anymore because Vandy came to Kentucky and won last year. They, yeah. they just – there's a lot on the table for Kentucky. And there's a, there's a path to when – when Tennessee comes to town, there's a path to 6-1. and one Yeah, on top 25 games. Right, you know, right. Like a, games. I think a realistic path, but you got to take care of Vanderbilt. It's away from home. You lost to them last year. You cannot afford to lose. Like, to me, that's the game. 
Um, if they handle that, you know, we'll, we'll, and we'll know a lot more about Florida at yeah. that point because I'll play Utah, Florida, or uh, Utah and Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what they have. But to me, the Vanderbilt one, that's the, tr- that's the trickier one. Like, Vandy, like. Are you they, really they, are you really worried about Vanderbilt? They can't lose. They can't. Yeah. No, I know you can't, can't lose, lose it, that game. but and it's going to be in. tricky because in Vanderbilt's case, Vandy has a pretty clear path, and they've got some momentum from last year. Yeah, you know, they ended the season with a bang. Kentucky's yeah. better, but it's a road game. You know, yeah. it's a road game. It's your first big. It's your first big. Like, you know, it's your first test of the year. And I think they're better. I think Vanderbilt will yeah. be better yeah. this year. So my, my my big game that just win this damn game is in Starkville because yeah. They should be vulnerable, but that place, I mean, Kentucky hasn't won there since 2008. Mm-hmm. It's just something about it. I don't know what it is. And they always, and it's been a lot of blowouts, too. The last four or five have been by uh, about 16 and a half points, something like that, the margin of defeat for Kentucky. And it, 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 the early season games are the ones that, like, you can, especially early on, you're like, well, th- if X, Y, and Z happens, you can dream big. But where Mississippi State falls on the calendar, I mean, it's – Around Alabama, and like you got to go to South Carolina, that can be tricky. You've got this tough kind of slog, and going down there, they're going to be physical in the trenches because that's what they do. Surviving and getting that monkey off your back because I mean, that's a game that's going to go away. The cross divisional yeah. games go away, so you're making one last trip down to Starkville. Please take care of business, yeah, take care of business. Oh, yeah, one last, last question. Last one, where are each you? Voting Kentucky in, in your preseason poll, and why is it below Tennessee? I got them third behind Tennessee. Third, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm second ahead of Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a – I think there's – Tennessee earned some benefit of the doubt last year with what they did. Yeah. I think the defense took strides. I don't think they're great on defense, but you got to assume Heupel, they're going to score 40-something points or 38, 40, or 38 to 42 points. you got to assume because and to me, too, it's like they've got – Insurance for Joel Milton, yeah, because they got the Dinko back there in case you know break glass in case of emergency. So, and I think the schedule for Kentucky, I mean, stuff you got you got to go to Georgia, you get Bam at home. Those will be, you know, you got to kind of write in red ink already two losses. So I would say I, I give it the edge to Tennessee, but I think they they deserve that after the. Mike's got that Kentucky Bama game as the biggest trap game of the season. So yep. I'd like to go up there, boys. I ain't going to lie. Now y'all serving beer, I may go beer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's, it's, it's a summer miracle. Did force uh, Spurrier to retire? Did he, force, he got Pruitt out of there? Got Coach O fired? Got Coach O out of there? Now can he get the big dog out of there? See you later, Saban. Hey, before you boys go, tell the audience, where can they find you? And, and they got to listen to 11 personnel. I listen to every episode. So we're the KSR YouTube channel is where we do all of our shows. Just Kentucky Sports Radio on there, KentuckySportsRadio.com. We've got a message board, KS Board, KSR Plus. Uh, Roush KSR is my Twitter handle. Yours is? Adam Luck at KSR. Yeah. So we're all over the place. Come find us. Come see about it. <laughs> Appreciate you, boys. Yeah, thank that you was great. again. I just want to say thanks again, Nick and Adam, for joining the show. Last but not least, the Florida Gators, Billy Napier. And I actually came away pretty impressed with some of the stuff Napier had to say at SEC Media Days. Obviously not uh, living up to the hype that first year, but a lot of close games lost. If they can flip that script, could be a different story. And had they beaten Vanderbilt, which obviously we can sit here and what if every game on the schedule, but had they beaten Vanderbilt, I think the narrative this offseason and games will be entirely different. And, hey, what's done is done, but – I think the true mark of Billy Napier as a head coach in the SEC will come this fall, year two. 
And it's probably wrong to put him in the in the lofty comparisons of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, Urban Meyer, you know, coaches that have made a true big-time impact year two with their programs. But Josh Heupel did it. Shane Beamer did it. Lane Kiffin did it. There are many, Sam Pittman did it. I mean, these are examples that I that are certainly fair for Billy Napier going into year two at Florida and something that even he recognizes. Let's see this year two jump, particularly without expectations, with everyone doubting the Florida Gators. Uh, here's Billy Napier on all the benefits that come in with being year two in his program. In what ways could we see the defense improving under Austin Armstrong? Well, I think that we're all benefiting uh, from being in year two. You know, there's a compound effect of year two. I continue to say that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think maybe gets overlooked is all the defensive assistance that we had in place, we've retained. Um, we've restructured our staff a little bit in terms of responsibilities, but each one of the assistant coaches on defense had never worked in our blueprint, right? They'd never been around this kind of tree in terms of how we operate and how we do things. So not only is Austin hitting the ground running because he's worked with us in the past at Louisiana, he worked with Kirby at the University of Georgia, uh, but the people around him are in year two. The teacher is teaching the material for the second time. Not only is the student learning the material for the second time, the teacher is teaching the material for the second time. So all parts of our process, you know, our eight-stage off-season program, uh, we continue to get better at, and I think that defensively we'll benefit from that, that whole process. And that comes after some hard lessons learned by Napier and company in year one. He has got SEC experience, of course, but uh, five years outside the league. The league can change in a hurry. And Billy Napier found that out in a hurry. Coach, what did you learn in your first year in the league in year one? And then what are you kind of hoping to accomplish and, and see in year two? Yeah, no, I think we learned a lot. Um, I think for me it was unique because I'd been out of the league for five years. You know, so you come back into the league, um, you inherit a roster, um, and you have a pulse of where you're at, and then you go play week in, week out. And I think it just really uh, – you kind of calibrate your eye, you know, relative to where we at as a program, uh, what is our roster like, where do we need to go. Um, and I don't think you truly understand that until you're standing on the field with each one of these teams, right? So I think it helped us adjust uh, big picture – relative to where we're at as a program and what we need to do to get back um, to where the Gators are a consistent championship contender, right? So I think for me, um, that's my biggest takeaway from year one. Now, last thing from Billy Napier, I thought this was really great. Florida fans, I thought, particularly would love these comments. Low expectations. What, what does that even mean in Gainesville in the swamp with that proud fan base that ex expects – championships they don't expect you to compete they expect you to win championships given that program's recent history but um you know billy napier kind of interesting he went with well it's been 15 years since we won anything but we've got all the pieces every, the alignments there they're taking care of us the athletes better than anywhere they're recruiting incredibly number two 
recruiter in the SEC right now is the Florida Gators, better than Alabama. I think Georgia is the only one right now that is recruiting at a higher clip in the SEC than Billy Napier's Florida Gators. Uh, let's kick it over one final time to Billy Napier. You talk about expectations. You talked about a narrative. I go back to a great quote by Gandhi. I won't allow other people to walk through my mind with their dirty feet. You said you're not going to let other people write your narrative. How in the hell could anybody ever have low expectations for a program like Florida? Well, I think it's important to evaluate things in context, right? Um, and we talk a lot about this in recruitment. You know, 2008, the Gators won the national championship. That's 15 years ago, the last time the Gators won the SEC or the national championship, right? So the young people that we're recruiting now, they were one, two, three years old, right? So that's one of the battles that we have is recent success. Um, so... Um, I do, you know, one of the things I respect about the place is people care, right? Uh, you want a job with high expectations. You want a job where there's alignment, there's commitment, there's resources, and we have that. So uh, we are not lacking in any area at the University of Florida. Our player experience right now is as good as anywhere. Um, and I've been impressed with the caliber of people that we've hired. Uh, and I think as we continue to evaluate and recruit well and, you know, retain our people, you know, not only the players but staff, and we have consistency uh, in our process, consistency in our systems, the way we create habits, the values that we teach, uh, the big-picture approach relative to our purpose. Uh, if we can keep people at the core of what we do, uh, we got a chance to do something really special. And that's what you want to hear your leader and again we'll we'll judge billy napier based on the results this fall but uh we did have zach goodall from all gators on and a little <laughs> he was dead on last year at media days when I, I was singing the praises of napier and anthony richardson and what they could accomplish he was pumping the brakes well zach's pumping the brakes again but we ended on a positive note. So let's kick it over to our interview with Zach Goodall from All Gators. One year later, Zach Goodall, <laughs> right. Sports Illustrated All Gators. How's it going, brother? It's going great. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. You wonder what the exact opposite of Shane looks like. Here he is, <laughs> the man with the golden hair. <laughs> Florida fan, you know. <laughs> you guys, you guys uh... – it means the world to me that you guys like this because I don't get enough compliments on it. I got to admit, I've been growing it for about two years and no one says anything. So, well, you Thank know, it's you. crazy growing up. I had hair, you know, but I always <laughs> kept it short because of football and stuff like that. And if I knew that there would be a day I'd no longer have it, I would have had yours. That's my thinking. That's exactly what I'm doing. I cut it short for like 10 or 15 years of my childhood. And then I was like, what am I doing, man? I'm not going to be able to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Have some fun. Enjoy the summer. <laughs> well, last season I was high on the Gators preseason. I voted him second in the East. You said, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> now I'm low on him. I think I'm going to, you know, we haven't officially voted, but I'll probably put him sixth in the East. That's where I'm planning on voting him. Am I wrong again? What's your read on, on Billy Napier year two? I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't know exactly where I'll put them yet. I'm honestly a little behind myself when it comes to putting together my vote, my ballot just across the board. Um, but one thing I know is this Florida team, and – you know, they improved. They've talked about improvement, adding a lot of depth across the board compared to last year. Uh, but they also lost a lot. You know, this is a team that has 
everyone looks at Colorado, right? Like that's the example of attrition right now. But Florida's quietly one of the most active teams across the board in adding and losing talent over the past year and a half. They they have totally revamped this roster. Um, I think this offseason they have a total, including walk-ons, of 46 new faces on this roster. So yeah. even if it's better, right, even if the talent's improved, even if you've got a lot more depth, that's going to take a lot of time to come together. And then you look at the schedule. I mean, it, it's daunting. It gets more and more daunting every year with yeah. the way they've been building it. I, I'm in wait-and-see mode. You know, yeah. I, I believe that, the, that there's potential for this roster to be better, especially long-term. But right now, I need to see it. Yeah. Now, there's two kind of camps when it comes to Anthony Richardson with Florida fans that I'm seeing. One is very inconsistent. And if we can get more consistency out of Graham Hurt, Mertz or whoever the quarterback is, maybe this offense will improve but also you hear well my god i mean they they could have they were not great last year obviously but they could have been a train wreck without him right because he could take over a game and he did it from time to time where do you line where do you line on that what do you think is more accurate to say that maybe they can get a little bit more consistency or like the bowl game i mean they were in real trouble without him that's the thing is you look at that and the the offense was anemic like yeah. when anthony richardson went out there and had bad games last year they were still ultimately in it because he could do things that the 21 other players on the field couldn't do yeah jack miller couldn't do that and they scored three points just by god's mercy by the end of that game to extend their scoring streak but <laughs> I, I don't know you, you would hope that more consistency would help uh, their their game plan is very old school they want to run the ball and they want the passing game to kind of work in tandem with yeah. that and, and you need consistency in the passing game to make that work and Richardson didn't necessarily provide the consistency but what he lacked again was the explosive plays you know if he's in trouble he can get out of it and I don't know that Graham Mertz has proven he can do that so it's a, it's another one of those things maybe a change of scenery will be good for him he's obviously experienced he will come in and know how to at least do the easy things uh, yeah. in terms of leading a team but it's still wait and see for me at this point he kind of had a, a- I don't know. It gave me the impression that there was a little bit of a quarterback competition going into camp here. So if you were to guess who's the starting quarterback at Florida week one and the, who's the quarterback at the end of the season, is it the same guy? Is it Mertz or are we going to see two different dudes here? I think it'll be Mertz week one, almost guaranteed. Um, last year when I looked at it with Anthony Richardson and with the compliments he got from day one, uh, Billy being able to come in, see him throw, and it was the best night of sleep he ever had, apparently. Like, there was no way he was ever going to get benched. And some Florida fans raised that point. They said, you know, should we make a change? Should we see what else we have? It's never going to happen. Whereas we're in the middle of July now, and we still have no clue by the word of the head coach who is going to start a quarterback for Florida. Again, I do tend to think it's Mertz, but if you're not confident enough to come out and say, yeah, this is our guy, the guy that we did all this work to go and acquire from the transfer portal, as they've said, too, makes me think you're just not as confident in, in what yeah. you've got at that point. So I don't know. By the end of the year, it, it could be someone different. Yeah. Now, I'm a guy that likes to troll. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but I swear, this is not a troll question. Someone posed it to us earlier. How many players on this Florida roster would start at Georgia? And I was struggling. Maybe the running backs. Is there anyone else, do you think? I think the running backs would contribute. But even there, it's like they – for as long as football's been around, Georgia's been churning out the top yeah. running backs, so it's yeah. even hard to say. Um, I think you can make arguments for specific players rather than going unit by unit, um, and even some of them, it's still kind of 
up in the air because right. I would take the potential of some guys on Florida on Georgia's roster compared to what's been proven by some players on Florida's roster. But there are a couple. I think you can make the argument that there are some blue chippers like Austin Barber, rising junior tackle. I think he'll be one of the better players on this team. Uh, a couple of acquisitions from the portal like a Cam Jackson from Memphis. Um, Lindell Hudson, uh, offensive lineman from FIU, was actually someone that had gotten a lot of hype about a year ago. He was looked at as a potential Power 5 transfer, but an injury sent him back. Um, and Napier brought up this point today, too. I think he said, what, like something like 10,000 snaps or whatever. They have a lot of, of proven players to some degree on this roster now, and ultimately that should raise the floor in some capacity, right? You would think. Um, I just don't know what it does to the ceiling. Yeah. Now, someone that follows these the Gators as closely as you do, I mean, when you get to talk to the players at an event like this, I always I love to ask the guys that cover the teams intimately. Did you learn anything from the players specifically that that you may have picked up on that uh, you know the general SEC fan would overlook? I think they've really honed in on this idea of blocking out outside noise, and that's you know that's cliche. That's what every coach aspires for. That's what everyone wants, but. If there's one thing that Billy Napier is really focused on, it's this it's this environment, it's this culture, it's the people first. When he was talking about recruiting earlier today and how he'll put um, the player um, experience up against any school, like he's meant that. That's I've been pretty amazed by the amount of focus he's put into that because at the end of the day, if I'm a football coach, I'm just kind of putting my focus into the X's and O's, but that's why I'm not paid to do it. <laughs> um, but he's he's put a ton into that, and I think we've started to see – at least on recruiting, that there have been some rewards. Players are buying into that. And some of these veterans now that have been in the system a year that came back for another year despite how last year went, uh, you can really see them starting to accept that message. <laughs> Mike's, Mike's usually editing me anyway. So um, yeah. I, am, I, I do want to ask because expectations, you know, the recruiting trail, because like, I've been there. Tissy, I'm a, I'm a Tissy fan. Right. You know, we've had some bad years, but we always had those sometimes those recruiting classes to look forward to. You know, Vegas does not have Florida Gators winning six games. So let's just pretend that's what happens and Florida misses a bowl game here. Are you worried about coaching? Are you worried about losing some of these recruits, anything like that? I think they absolutely should be. Whether yeah. or not they are, I think it's probably a different question because they're so bought into what they have going off the field, what this environment is, what their NIL changes have been. I mean, that's that was something Billy Napier said today about the new group that they have and thinks that they seem to have a lot of confidence in, in the way they are going about this player acquisition business to where maybe that isn't as important as years past, but yeah. I don't know. If I were a player and I saw Florida go three years in a row with a losing season, I, I would be turned off. You know, yeah. I get it. There's a lot. And this is, again, my perspective. I wouldn't necessarily get it as I'm not in their shoes. But it's it's simple enough to me that just win win your games. You know, yeah. that, that should be the selling point. There's so many different things that go into it. I get it. But that's what it comes down to. And, yeah. and that's, that's I'm sure a lot of these kids will evaluate one, that. One of the biggest controversies I'm seeing online, too, is stadium renovations. Hmm. So what, what's your what's your thought of losing seats? It would change things, yeah. you know. It would it would change just how special an environment this is. Now, granted, it's, it's becoming normal in a sense. You see it across, obviously, a lot more pro sports in the renovations, but yeah. we're seeing it trickle down to the college level as well. Um, Florida fans are not pleased with the idea of losing 15,000 seats. I don't think they're pleased with the idea of losing five. 
Um, and, and I get that that much. But there are, at the same time, improvements that are definitely needed within that um, stadium. I think the concourses need to widen. They definitely need to modernize just the ins and outs, the technical aspect of running a stadium because yeah. it's clearly not been worked on in some time. But yeah. I understand the frustration about actual structural changes at yeah. the same time, too. Yeah, it's been pretty hot this week. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. What, I was, again, a Vol fan. I, when we lost our seats, that's the first thing I thought of, man. I'm used to that big number. And right. That, but I'm going to tell you, when you're hanging out in it, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would hope Florida fans will look at it the same Absolutely. way when that time comes because yeah. they will grow to appreciate the perks. Yeah. Yeah. Can you – have ever imagined the last couple of months the quarterback issues that Florida had with you know maybe Anthony Richardson going pro that's not an issue you you like that particularly him going so well but had he come back the narrative would be completely different the Rashada thing of course the Austin Simmons thing of course uh the transfer portal you know hit or misses depending on who you believe I mean it's if they can't get the quarterback right right I don't know if Napier is going to make it. Is that a strong statement? I think they are all in on this upcoming quarterback, DJ Lagway. I think yeah. it's DJ Lagway or bust at this point, which probably not the best position to be in when it's yeah. all said and done. You, you put all your eggs in the basket of a rising senior in high school, mm-hmm. uh, entering your second year as an SEC head coach. It's just it's a lot, but it, it speaks to the issues that you uh, spoke about with Richardson declaring, which – I really think it was a foregone conclusion by like early last November. I think yeah. that it was always going to happen. We very clearly knew we had a special talent on our hands there. Um, the Jaden Rashada situation, I mean, that made them a total joke. It led to, in fairness, I think a lot of motivation to get things right, get recruiting, especially that position, figured out long term. NIL, obviously. Um, Jalen Kitna and Marcus Stokes are another two that it's obviously, it, it gets easy to fr- remember these guys because of how many different instances they've had. I think they I think Napier said in January or February they evaluated 24 different quarterbacks from the portal and landed on Graham Mertz to the reaction that obviously it's gotten right or wrong uh, you know he wasn't necessarily the best quarterback in the portal so yeah. a lot of concerns a lot of reasons a lot of swings and a lot of misses and I understand their confidence I think DJ Lagway is a special player but it's just it's a difficult position to be in for yeah. sure do you think it's fair or unfair that some people, myself included, I could be transparent here, I got Graham Mertz as the 14th best starting quarterback in the S- Is that fair or not? I don't necessarily think it's unfair. I mean, he's not proven to be anything in the SEC at this point. I mean, you've got all these concerns coming in about his consistency at a, ultimately a bit of a lower level of football. And I, I don't see anything really that, that has made a case for him to rise up quarterback rankings necessarily now do I think that his experience can go a long way for this team again sure and I think that this offense may also be a bit better suited to his skill set because it's a bit more minimalized I think it's a relatively simple offense that relies on running the ball he knows a thing about or a thing or two about that from his time up in uh at Wisconsin but <laughs> I would I would understand putting him in the bottom tier at the mm-hmm. very least for now I like to I like to bring it up a notch here. Yeah, right. yeah. You know I was thinking, I'm, I'm, like, I'm about to start crying to start, here. Yeah, I, know, I think my eyes are watering over <laughs> here thinking about the next Florida coach, you know. <laughs> but let's be optimistic here. Let's sure. let's say the stars do align. Let's say Marks is the guy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what else needs to happen 
for Florida to break through and be competitive. You know, because we're, we're all talking about that third spot. In the end. I think a lot of people, I don't know if you've done your, your poll yet, but, you know, a lot of people have Georgia first in the East, Tennessee second. I think mm-hmm. that's the, the, the common sense is here. But that third spot, what would it take for Florida to get that third spot in the East? You got a pair, um, obvious jump at quarterback again, like you said, with – I think specifically a jump at safety and on the defensive line for yeah. two issues, um, two reasons, I should say. Defensive line depth has just been abysmal for several years. I think that's the biggest reason why Florida's defense has been the way it's been. Uh, under-recruited, not up to SEC par in terms of size, strength, and speed. Um, and also, I think the previous coaching staff kind of just came in with, in the supplied generally across recruiting boards, with a lack of planning at each position you know florida's this staff have all given credit for their recruiting they've come in and said hey this is our board at nose tackle this is our board at five technique this is across the board we've got this and the last staff was kind of just like uh that defensive lineman wants to come here we'll take him this one wants to come as a result we've seen that this i mean florida's defense has been swiss cheese against the run for several years as a result oh yeah um and the reason i bring up safety play even though it's not necessarily as concerning with depth is it's just been so underwhelming for a few years and you pair that with this scheme this scheme actually treats its safeties like middle linebackers they are essentially signal callers the austin armstrong formerly patrick tony defense you know obviously every level has to communicate a lot but the safeties and addition to having to be good which again haven't been really that good in the past couple of years but they are in serious leadership roles and so generally yeah quarterback will make or break the team I think that's true just about anywhere you look but the next biggest thing for Florida is its defense and those are the two positions that have got to make the big jump in order to to compete yeah all right let's get a let's get an upset too let's let's get Florida fans hyped up here (laughs) game most likely to go the Gators way that maybe the odds makers don't and I'm thinking at Utah the opener that'll be tricky uh, Tennessee at home. Tennessee at home was probably what I was going to say. And can, maybe at Kentucky. Which, which one of those three, and you could, you could say all three if you want, <laughs> most likely be upset in, in the Gators' favor? I mean, even now still, I, I go into looking at this schedule with viewing as though Florida is an underdog in a lot of these games, those three in particular. But probably Tennessee just because it's at home. I feel as though it's probably that simple. If they can stick to their plan of being able to to run the ball, just churn away that clock, make their games this year as fast as possible, mm-hmm. in front of a rowdy home environment, that's probably where they've got their best chance. Um, so I'd probably go Tennessee. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I try to be positive. He sticks a dagger right in my Yeah, heart. what the hell? I said I guess. <laughs> probably. Maybe. Have you, have you heard the word from Joe Milton? Should we talk? I'm sure that reached Gainesville, didn't it? What was it? Oh, uh, he said, I don't uh, lose in Florida. I mean, the fans have got to be eating that up in the swamp. I mean, it's going to be rowdy as hell down there. Just, I mean, it was already, but that's going to add fuel to the fire, don't you think? Certainly. Um, But you're right. Florida fans are also just, you know, (laughs) they're ready. They're rearing for some good football. They're rearing for some good. Absolutely. Right now, you know. Absolutely. I get it. Yeah. Because you realize, as as a program. That's one multiple 10-win seasons. You know, you, you forget how good you had it. You right. Know? Yep. Exactly. So, uh, but when you do get it back, you appreciate it. So. <laughs> All right, Zach, really appreciate you. Before you go, tell the audience, where can they find your work? Where can they follow you? You guys can find me at Zach underscore Goodall on Twitter. Read all of my stories over at allgators.com. I appreciate right. you, bro. Thank man. you. Thanks. So just want to say thanks, Zach, for joining the show. We got 
two more for you guys. Again, I told you, absolutely loaded show. Matt Hayes, Saturday Down South, 1010XL, one of the best in the SEC. Every time Matt writes a column, I have to read it, and you should be too. Uh, You'll get an idea why during this conversation with Matt Hayes from SEC Media Days. All right, well, please be joined. Matt Hayes, Saturday Down South, 1010XL, Jacksonville Radio, one of my favorites. And I've told you this before, and this is this is true, I swear to God. I, I'm not trying to make you feel old or anything, but I have been reading your stuff for, it seems like, decades. You just did make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible but, segue. No, the, the point is, every time you write something, I know I have to read it. And you're one of the Thank very, you, very few at this entire event that I can say that of. And you, you tell it like it is. You don't hold anything back. I, I really am a big fan of yours. Well, I appreciate that. I feel like I'm underdressed right now. No jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I watch your guys' You're show good. all the time, man. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's fun as hell. You guys are, are very unique in the fact that you just go on there and you just talk. And you talk ball and right. you're happy about it. And I love it. Well, that's what Mike says. You know, he says you never hold back. Has that ever got you in trouble? Because we saw oh, yeah. Eli in here yesterday apologizing for all the hot takes he's done in years past. Um. The, the thing is, is, there's a difference between a hot take and just telling the truth. When you just tell the truth, yeah, I mean, it's what are they going to say? What, literally, what are they going to say? Yeah, absolutely. and believe me, I've had coaches say that I've written about. I've called a text and say, "All right, you got me," and that's it. And it's, that's just it, and they know it, you know. So it's it's as long as as long as it's not personal, right? You know, then that's fine. And and it's not like I I'm out to do that. It's just I'm. I'm going to tell the story how I see it needs to be told. Right. And it's not like I'm going to, like, try to find a way to avoid this or avoid that or make this team look good or that team look bad. I'm just telling the story. And, yeah. and I think that's, at the end of the day, that's why coaches respect you. That's why ADs respect you. Commissioners respect you. Players respect you. Because as long as you're saying the truth and writing the truth, what are they going to say? Right. There's no response to it. Well, so I have to ask you then about Billy Napier coming off, of, you know, a so-so year, ups and downs. Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson going fourth overall. Does that help or hurt Billy Napier? Do you think? I, I don't know. I'm, I I think I think you could say it helps him because he has a quarterback that went fourth overall. Right. But clearly, if you watch what happened that last season, he didn't play that well. No, he played well at times. I should say he was very uneven. Um, and I think that's something that if you're a quarterback, you always think, especially that position, you always think, well, I can be better than that guy, or I can beat out that guy. You don't care who's there. You don't care who's there competing. All of that. So. Long story short to your question is, they certainly need to play better at that position this year. Um, I think if you look back at Florida since December, what has happened in that quarterback room has been unreal. Anthony Richardson left for the NFL, which we all knew was going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. All right? They thought they had a deal with Michael Pratt. Yep. From Tulane, Tulane quarterback. Yeah. 11th hour, that falls through. So then they got Graham Mertz, who honestly is you're just switching one uneven quarterback for another at that point. Anthony Richardson for Graham Martz, who's up and down in Wisconsin. Then uh, Jaden Rashada, the whole Jaden Rashada NIL deal, the freshman five-star. He's out. He ends up going to Arizona State. Months down the road, or after spring practice, I should say, Billy Napier says, you know, we've got a chance to add a quarterback in the spring portal or add a quarterback at some point. So everybody's thinking spring portal. He's talking about Austin Simmons, the 16-year-old four-star for 2025 class, I believe. Yeah. Who's <laughs> Not only already graduated high school, who's already got two years of college in the bag. So wherever he goes, and he ended up going to Ole Miss, wherever he goes, he's starting out as an upperclassman, which is insane, a 17-year-old. Yeah. So Austin Simmons is, seems like it's going to be a lock to go to Florida. 
You know, there's Twitter buzz out there that he's going to sign tomorrow with Florida. He's going he's to reclassify, and Florida will have its quarterback. Mm-hmm. And then Kiffin swoops in and grabs him, <laughs> and now they're back to Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. So it's, it's going to be a difficult spot for them, there's no doubt, this year. And the fans are saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to give them time. We're patient. We love because they're killing it recruiting. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Will, that, will they be saying that too and if they're 6-6 six and six again? <laughs> you know, Everybody's so I've, gr- optimistic I've, I've right grown now. up around Florida fans all my life. Yeah. I went to Florida, so I know all about it, okay? Yeah. Um, it's going to be difficult. Like, they will be, they will be on him. Um, I know that Scott Strickland loves him, will stand by him. Yeah. You're not going to fire him after year two. And pay him $32 million, that's not going to happen. Um, and so far, you, it doesn't look like there's any problems in the program. So they, they can't do what Tennessee did, where you invite the NCAA in, find a reason to fire Jeremy Pruitt, then get out of the, out of the buyout, you know. And end up $4.5 million in the green, by the way. Great move by Tennessee. Um, which, by the way, every program in college football should follow that model. Yeah. If you have a huge buyout you don't want to pay out, just invite the NCAA in. Come on, man. See what we got. Open your books and say, here we go. Promo code NCAA. Yes, because at the end of the day, you're going to save money. Um, and we've seen what they've done. Like, they, don't, they have no teeth anymore. They don't care. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's – I think at the end of the day, they'll give him time because they see the recruiting. So that makes you think, like, all right, he gets it. He's, he's building this program the right way. I think they'll be better defensively this year. They're still going to have to run the ball, and they're going to have to play, like, dictate tempo. They're not going to be able to throw the ball that well. Grimberts is just he's just, an, he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And you can't win in the SEC with just a guy at quarterback. So do they win six or seven games? Maybe. I mean, Vegas has them at five and a half. That's right. the line. Um, so I, I think if you get six or seven and you get to a bowl game and you somehow win that game, you get a little momentum, you get another class in there, you get your quarterback in there, DJ Lagway, mm-hmm. the five-star they got committed right now, then I think you might get a little momentum. And, but, again, you're still talking about playing a true freshman at quarterback in the best league in college football. So he's going to have to get somebody from the poor. Yeah. And a lot of it's out of his hands because Georgia's so good, Florida State's so good. Tennessee and South Carolina seemingly on the rise. Even, hell, Kentucky's pretty good. Uh, you know, none of that's on Billy Napier, but I don't think the fans are going to give a damn if they're mm-hmm. losing all these. No. L- LSU? No. You know? No. He's in, no, and at the end of the day, and I, I hate to keep going back to this too, Mike, because it's all about the quarterback. You, you live and die in this league with your quarterback. Mm-hmm. Look how quickly Tennessee turned it around. They turned it around because they stumbled into Hendon Hooker. Yeah. You know, Joe Milton gets hurt, Hooker goes in there, and boom, away they go. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to minimize Josh Hopkins. I think he's done an unbelievable job. Right. And and I think they're going to be much better down the road. It's a great hire. Talk about stumbling into a great hire. That's a great hire. Um, and and if you get the right quarterback, man, everything changes. Yeah. Because then you have consistency at that position. Then you have a guy who protects the ball. You don't have him throwing interceptions or fumbling the ball. Then you can do different things on offense. Then you can play a different way. Everything changes if you have the right guy. If you've got a guy that goes out there and you're like, my God, I don't know if he's going to turn it over or I don't know if he's going to get us out of the right play. If you've got a guy that can walk the line of scrimmage and say, we're in the wrong play, we've got to get out of this play, and can get you out of that play, mm-hmm. that's gold. Right. And, and, and that's, that's very rare. Well, I mean, going into 23, we've got merch. So I'm, I'm just curious. Mike just did a quarterback ranking. I'm not going to tell you exactly where he's at, but it was a little lower. I can where? tell you where he's out of mine. <laughs> where is he? He's 14. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Right at him. I, yeah. I don't. I don't see how it's, you don't it could be anywhere else. It. You don't. Think, you don't think there's some some shot in hell that he just miraculously comes with a great quarterback or fits this the scheme better than he did up north. So here's the thing, <clears throat> and I've heard this narrative out there. Okay, 
that he was in a bad system and it was a bad quarter. Paul Christ is one of the best quarterbacks coaches yeah. in any level of football. He's been a guy that has been at all levels, including the NFL and college football. He has a, a, an unbelievable amount of respect within the coaching fraternity as a quarterback developer and a play caller. It was not the coach. Yeah. It was not the system. It was the player. Can he be better? I don't know. I don't know. He, is he better with a different, a different scene, a different players around him, a different coach? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But he's I, – I don't see – you can't put anyone other than him at 14. And don't We can't just automatically throw the Vandy quarterback in there because A.J. Swan's a good player. Yeah. Yeah. A.J. Swan is yeah. a really good player. If you want to yeah. watch something fun, if you want to watch a reason to watch Vandy this year, watch Vandy for A.J. Absolutely. Swan. Any concern, Georgia, all the uh, off-the-field stuff? Because the way I look at Georgia right now – it's kind of like Ohio State. The year they won it, they brought back a ton. Right. But they dropped one game to Michigan State. I believe it was like a last-second field goal. And that kept them from the Big Ten Championship, kept them out of the playoff. I think Georgia, with their schedule, if, if somehow they don't win the conference, if they drop a game, I don't think they're getting in because they don't have the resume to get in, even, even though yeah. they will certainly probably be one of the best four. So it's interesting you bring that up, that 2015 Buckeyes team, because that 2015 Buckeyes team was a lot like the 9 Florida team. Everybody came back, but there was so much drama throughout the season mm-hmm. because there was so much off-field drama. And there was off-field drama at Ohio State, too. So the question now becomes is, does the off-field drama at Georgia bleed into the season? And you've got a brand-new quarterback. You've got a brand-new play caller, a brand-new offensive coordinator. You've got guys who have been in the mountaintop two years in a row. And I've said this all on the, the most impressive thing that Nick, Nick has done at Alabama is year after year after year after year, he gets those guys to believe I know you went to the mountain last year and you got that gold, but the gold this year is even better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they believe him. Yeah. So Kirby did it last year, but now with all the stuff going on, with a new quarterback, with a new OC, can he do it again? And can he prevent that stuff that happened in the offseason from bleeding into the regular season? Yeah. Do you think Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks can keep uh, exceeding expectations? And what's your thoughts on Spencer Rather? Because if he plays like he did at the end of the season, they certainly can, but I don't have confidence in him to do that for a full year. I don't think you're alone in that. I think that's the question everybody has. You know, d- yeah. Does he become, you know, it, did, was that a situation last year where he just got comfortable? He finally got comfortable, so he started playing like he played in 2020 at Oklahoma. You know, or was that just a quick little run? And then I guess he, I mean, he played, he played, I wouldn't say he played well against Notre Dame, he threw a couple picks. So he, I think you've got to see a guy who goes out there and takes care of the ball because he did not take care of the ball the first two months of the season in South Carolina. So if he does, I think South Carolina is dangerous. Uh, if he doesn't, they're 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. Hey. And, and I like Shane. I think Shane's doing a great job there. He's recruiting really well. Yeah. Um, Shane and Billy Napier are very similar. Very similar recruiting well. Billy's got a better geographic footprint to recruit from. He can get the state of Florida where Shane's got to go elsewhere. Um, but both of them need a quarterback to, to sustain what they're trying to do. Kind of piggybacking off that, we're—I mean—we're putting our picks in today. Most people are going to have Georgia in the East number one, Tennessee. I'm—I'm I'm imagining number two is probably going to be the popular one. But that third one, <laughs> who's—who's who's that third team that steps up in the East? I mean, I, you can make an argument for Mizzou, Kentucky. Hell, I've even seen Florida on there a few times. I—I I mean, I like Kentucky a lot, especially with Leary. Um, Key and Brown are, are just great receivers, and I don't use that word. Often, but they are great receivers. Yeah. And if they can get, if they can protect Leary, and these are two ifs, if they can protect Leary, which they hadn't done the previous two years with Levis, if they can protect him and they get that offense to playing like Leary played two years ago at NC State when he had 
35 touchdowns and four picks. You know, last year when he got hurt, their offensive line was completely new. He got crushed. Mm-hmm. They couldn't protect him. Um, that's why he hurt his, I believe his peck is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why he missed half the season. So if they can protect him with those receivers Kentucky has, wow. I mean, yeah. they're going to be a problem for people. I don't know if they can. If they can, I would say Kentucky at three. But if not, probably South Carolina. Yeah. From yeah. South Carolina, Kentucky, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, doesn't matter the rest of the way. <laughs> Honestly. No, because they're all the same. Missouri, yeah. Florida, yeah. Mandy, they're all yeah. the same. I was on Texax yesterday morning, and I, they have had big pushback on me when I'm on their show sometimes. I said, if Jimbo does not win at least eight games this year, you have to fire his ass. And they – they didn't quite go that far, but they didn't disagree with me. Which but, is weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> because those dudes uh, fight the last <laughs> hill for him, man, <laughs> for the first you know, few years. It was all, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about, Jimbo. Right, those right. guys are brutal, man. Those guys, oh, yeah. you wouldn't believe some of the emails I got from those guys. Um, <laughs> Do you agree with that assentment, though? I mean, it's, it, they have to show significant improvement, I think. I mean, what the hell are we doing here? Year six. I, I don't disagree with you, but what do you, you're going to pay a guy $82 million to walk away? Because you'll get someone better in there, and it may, it'll all all go away. Or maybe, like you said, it's a Jer- lot of dough. Jeremy man. Pruitt his ass. Who knows? You, right, you can do that. You can yeah. do what Tennessee did. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. I mean, that's you're talking about a lot of money. That's number one. Yeah. If you can, if you get a couple of those oil guys that don't care and they got all that money, and they'll say, okay, I'll give you eighty-two million. <laughs> then you do it. Um, Particularly if Texas wins a Big Twelve. Yes. And they come in with if all there, this. There's going to be a know? problem if Texas beats Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then they win the Big 12, and they get to the playoff. And then Texas rides into the SEC on this huge mountain. <laughs> and A&M goes 7-5, and five and, and Petrino and Fisher are, are bickering. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. But that's that's worst-case scenario of everything for them. Yeah. I, I, think, um, I think the more likely case, and believe me, I wrote this morning that I don't know what Jimbo's doing. He still w- refuses to say that Petrino's going to call plays for him. Yeah. Um, I called somebody yesterday who's really close to Petrino. I said, what's the deal? Who's calling plays? The expectation is he's that it's Petrino, and he said it's never been questioned, never in question, that Petrino's calling the plays. But he's running around here. He won't answer it. Yeah, he won't say it. He's been evading it for seven months. Right. So I will, I will say this. All that taking into consideration, they're really talented on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. They're really talented at the skill positions on offense. I think Connor Wiggins is going to be a really good player. Yeah. Um, I think they go like 9-3. and three. I think they'll yeah. be all right. I told – you, you saw I posted LSU's winning it all, and you said you were getting close. I'm getting there, man. H- how <laughs> close are you to, to – I'll tell you what, I'm getting close to having LSU and Michigan in the national title game. I'm getting wow. really close. Um, so I talked with Jaden Daniels, and just he's such, he's such a good dude. Um, you know, and you can see how far he's come from when he was there. You know, he said, you have to understand, when I got there, I had to win the locker room, win the fans, win the position, and win games. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So the most difficult, he said, was winning the locker room. Yeah. So it's the progression he made last year and how quickly he made that progression and how much better he played. Had he not had that high ankle sprain, I think he would have seen a closer, a closer game in the SEC Championship game. Not a different result, a closer game. Um, and, and I think we'd be thinking differently about LSU right now. The one thing I have, question, I have a question about with him is, honestly, I'm sitting right across from him. He is not a big dude, man. Mm-hmm. His shoulders are—he's not a big dude. So I mean, I—I I mean, he's going to get hit. It's like he got hit last year, mm-hmm. just like he hurt his ankle. And I know Nussmeier is a capable backup, but there's a difference when you've got Jaden Daniels in the game as opposed to Garrett Nussmeier. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels is a guy who can hurt you with his legs, which those things are backbreaking. Those runs like that. Um, right. 
that first game is going to be unbelievable, LSU and FSU. Because yeah. you've got two quarterbacks. Play the same way. Yeah. Play the same way. Two talented teams. Um, it'll be basically a home game for Florida State. It'll be fun. So I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm almost there. I think defensively, if Mason Smith becomes the Mason Smith we think he is, and you've got Mason Smith and Wingo on the interior, mm-hmm. good God. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, and they're, they're moving around Harold Perkins, who I think might be the second or third best player in college football all over the place. Right. They're really good at corner. Um, and offensively, they, I mean, what don't you like about that team? There's talent everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I'm really close, man. Really, really close. I hate, I hate that wasn't home and home. You know, it's like, yeah. let's play next door down here in New Orleans, <laughs> and then let's go over here to Orlando. It's like, why don't we just have a home and home? Money. It's just, I it's know, but it, I just think they missed a boat there. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Last thing for you, I, I've called Nick Saban's dynasty in decay. Do you agree with that? I mean, does he win another national championship? I don't think it's in decay because I think he's got way too much talent there. Yeah. Because if, if – if Nick had a quarterback, if he had a guy like if 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 Jalen Milrow when he came in last year and he you know he won the game, so it's hard for us to complain about a guy right. going and winning a Texas A&M game, right? Um, and he basically helped him win the Arkansas game. Mm-hmm. But if he was a guy where he threw the ball and you're like, oh yeah, this dude can throw the ball, yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be fine. Then he, they'd be probably be number one, yeah, number one or number two. So I think I think they're set everywhere except for quarterback. And then you start to say, all right, well, can a guy who transfers in from a program? immediately pick up and start winning games. I think he can. Um, he's been with Tommy Rees, the new OC at, at Notre Dame for three years. He's a guy Alabama recruited out of high school. Um, I mean, we'll see, man. It's We saw him last year against South Carolina. He played pretty well, but that was South Carolina. The difference between South Carolina and Georgia and LSU and Texas A&M, big difference. Right. Yeah. Big difference. All right, Matt Hayes, really appreciate you. Everybody read your stuff Saturday Down South, 1010XL. Where can they, the audience find you on social media? Social media is, uh, i got to remember this now, Mike. It's uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt Hayes, Hayes CFB. CFB. Right. See, I already know. like me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. All right, thanks, Matt. That meant a lot. Great talking to you and having you back on the show, as well as our buddy Clark Brooks, SEC Stat Cat. Whew. If you need to wake up this morning, this will get you there. Clark Brooks, SEC Stat Cat, hammering home some of this information into your ears. Around, around. Yeah. All right, we're here with Clark Brooks, one of my absolute favorite accounts to follow, SEC Stat Cat on three sports. And he, as he joked, he came over here and said, by God, you've had everybody from on three but me, so get me on here. Best like, for last. What do I have to do to get on here? I mean, I thought I have some decent left, takes. I know my stuff He a literally bit. left the first message, too. You know, yeah. he's like, first one here, Monday morning, left them a nice little napkin of a note. So let's talk Kentucky. You said yeah. Kentucky's going to whoop Tennessee's ass. Oh, That's man. by five, my friend. It's going to be because of the quarterback. I mean, everyone is excited about Devin Leary and the Bluegrass. And the, the term I like to describe him, snappy accuracy. Sure, he did lean on RPO short stuff when he was at NC State. But still, when you look at a down-to-down basis, being on target, and what I mean by on target, the receiver's not having to do an unnecessary adjustment to make the catch. He's not having to slow down. He's not having to dive or you know have any altering just pure in stride type of rhythm on a per throw basis he projects to be the sec's most accurate guy right now so he's the opposite of will levis is that what you're telling me well hey <laughs> let's remember in the marginal aspects there was a reason why will levis was talked up as a first round talent besides his traits yeah 
Number one accuracy deep in the SEC. Mm -hmm. Number one accuracy under pressure in the SEC. Number one accuracy on contested tight windows in the SEC. Most experience running under center stuff. So there was stuff there. But yeah, of course, when Will Levis was just asked to operate within structure, his adjusted net passing yards per attempt was the worst in the conference. Yeah. That's never yeah. a good look if you're trying to play at the next level. It's just not. But for Leary, of course, he can just come in and be that distributor. Of course, last time Leon Combe was in Lexington, I'd like to remind you, Kentucky led the conference in offensive success rate. They were the only team above 50%. I think actually Mississippi State was actually with them, but they were one of the two conferences offenses that year to crack the 50% threshold, which, of course, is where the elite offenses like to go. So, and with that, that was Levis year one, right? Correct, 2021. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So with that pairing together, I think it's absolutely going to help them, considering the fact Kentucky arguably has its best receiving room it's ever had. And I'm not a hyperbolic person, so that should <laughs> carry some weight what I just said. <laughs> Wasn't it funny, though, that uh, you say that, and you're not the only one. Many people believe it, but they're not even in consideration for the SEC's best receiving core by, by, by the masses. I'm mm -hmm. not saying they're not the best, mm -hmm. but I'm saying I don't even hear that. I hear A&M. I hear LSU, yeah. Georgia, Alabama. They just completely overlook Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, hey, there's good reasons to overlook. I mean, some of these rooms <laughs> are stacked, my friend. LSU right. in particular, I'm really excited about them. A&M's three main pass catchers with Moose Muhammad back, Evan Stewart, who just looked like an absolute star budding this spring. And then when you bring in Anaya Smith, the jack-of-all-trades, the guy you can have in the backfield in the slot out wide where you can just really find your, your stress points right. with the defense, it's really going to help those quarterbacks. Look, I'm not the biggest Connor Wegman proponent. Yeah, he's a freshman All-American. Who cares? He threw zero picks. Who cares? He still had a below-average interceptable pass rate. He was still throwing the ball in the harm's way. Just because he didn't log an interception doesn't mean he was reckless. He clearly was. And when you're looking at his pass chart, he had one of the lowest percentage of passes that went outside the numbers. So everything's towards the middle of the field. That tells me noodle arm. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't get a chance to ask Jimbo this yesterday, but last time I checked, which was yesterday, only two conference offices – have failed to have more explosive plays than Texas A&M over the last three years, Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Mm. That's not the company you want to keep in this conference. He got mad as hell I had Wigman over Joe Milton. I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> did. He was so many beers insane. deep, he didn't even know what was going on. No. But why, why did that make you so mad? Well, j just because of the abilities. I mean, I don't want to call uh, Wigman a total noodle arm because he's still young, he's still developing, but based on what he was as a freshman, you cannot deny the immense upside Milton has over him in terms of just traits, in terms of operation, of course. Um, the fear and shoot, the super spread, whatever you want to call Tennessee's offense, it's inherently aggressive, it's inherently vertical, and it leads itself into having more explosives. And last time I checked, which was yesterday, the explosive play battle is more correlated to victories in this conference the last half decade than time of possession, winning the middle eight, and winning the turnover battle. So yeah. it's immensely important to consistently get explosive games, and that just hasn't been their offense. And, again, you kind of have to lean into that because, yes, you can have yak stuff, you can have good receivers, but the easiest way to get explosive pass is throw downfield, throw deep. Well, two of the last three years, they've had a bottom five deep pass rate within the conference. They're not even giving themselves a chance to log these explosives. They're putting way too much weight on their receivers and their running backs coming out of the backfield to – Get those yak-oriented explosives. Yeah. Well, I hey, well, let me go. If we're at the end of this season, we're looking about. I mean, obviously you're a numbers man. I'm going to need a little more caffeine for this interview. I can already <laughs> tell. But if you were 
at the end of the season, and you are ranking what you think the top five quarterbacks will be in the SEC, who who do you have in that list? Uh, so, yeah, we're, our ballot's going to come out later. I'm going to keep them a little quiet, but I'll share with you all. Um, Milton, he has the highest upside. Yes, yeah. he's going to have to get the consistency stuff down, especially with his mechanics inside the pocket. He's a big kid. He can move well. Obviously, he has the traits that the pro scouts are just drooling over. But just because of his environment, the upside, I really do think he's going to, I wouldn't say replicate last year, but definitely have a one of the better seasons within the conference because this is where we get a lot of subjectivity. We have some quality returners within mm-hmm. this conference, but no one who necessarily excites people at the next level. You know, Jaden Daniels is a name that a lot of people are going to have at quarterback one. Well, uh, he's still a guy that his is, who is his best self, just attacking underneath, not really pressing the ball downfield and scrambling to space. That's not really a difference maker. That is, in my opinion, the definition of an offensive executive. He's just going out there and executing the offense. Yeah. And, of course, when Garrett Nussmeyer got in there, oh, my gosh, the kid popped. So, like, you can see some of um, Brian Kelly's comments last year where he's just like, gosh, dang, I just wish our quarterback would be a little <laughs> bit more aggressive and throw the ball downfield. And he was actually giving him some roses yesterday based on how he played in the SEC championship game and the bowl game where he mm-hmm. – tended to test those tight windows a little bit more. When you were looking across the SEC, he's bang average at attacking those. And, of course, he has a bottom five average depth of target. And only the air raid had a lower explosive pass rate than LSU. Uh, not good. <laughs> I'm glad you went there because that's what they're Wait, getting. We just, like, we just got Milton and Dan. So what is your what? top Oh, my gosh. Let me get while, while he's going, though, I, real yeah. quick. <laughs> That's because that's what I understand about uh, Kevin Barbe. Because SEC yes. fans don't know who that you know, former Appalachian State offensive coordinator, obviously New Mississippi State. That's that's critical because Mike Leach is no longer there. Rest in peace. But that's his specialty is explosive plays. Yes. You think that translates uh, to Will Rogers' game this fall? Um, I don't think it's the best fit, but I do think the schematic elements are going to try and bring about that verticality. Of course, we saw it in the spring game. It was mentioned a decent amount. He actually threw a pass beyond 40 yards downfield. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's only done that like a half dozen times in three years, and, of course, right. he gets one right, right on tape immediately. But he's yet to complete one of those ever in college. That kind of matters. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, basically for fans who are somewhat aware of what's going on around the rest of the conference, they're going to try and run what Missouri has been running. It's what I call the spread-a-hand offense, not the, you know, Shanahan offense. Mm-hmm. It's the spread-a-hand because we still get some orbit motions and some fun razzle-dazzle type of stuff, but it's still orchestrated off that wide zone type of action, eye candy to manipulate the defense who might be in too deep to reallocate, reallocate resources to the box. And once their eyes are towards the line of scrimmage, that's when you're throwing over their heads with Yankee shots or other types of deep pass patterns off of deception tactics. So I do think Will Rogers has the potential to crack the top five. But at this point in time, I can't overlook the check down Charlie aspect. Mike, you know I'm always (laughs) the quickest to bring up the fact that um, there have only been four instances the last half decade of a quarterback having a double-digit check down rate. Will Rogers has three of them. The only other guy to have a such instance under my watch was Mac Jones, of course, who was also kind of criticized as just being a caretaker within yeah. that scheme during a COVID season. So even though, yes, he has a lot of counting stats, it's just the fact that he just relies so much on the dink and dunk being a point guard distributor. It's not the sexiest type of game, and I've let other people to bypass him. 
So after Milton, it then comes into Leary, who we mentioned, the snappy action. He gets the ball out quick, attacking tight windows, mid-range. He's a guy you can count on. Sure, he was not the sharpest last year, no doubt about it, but still those things consistently did show up, even though everything else kind of soured. So that's, you know, that's a pretty nice sales pitch. Then third, that's when we get into our, I guess, uh, experienced, our uh, established guys with Jaden Daniels. Of course, I just mentioned who likes to focus short. He's a West Coast type of operator, scrambled to space, and he takes a lot of sacks. That's not so good. I mean, we want to talk about Will Levis taking sacks last year and throwing interceptable passes. Well, adjusted net passing yards per attempt takes all of that into account, and Jaden Daniels still had a worse clip than Will Rogers last, or than uh, Will Levis last year. Now, is that for his career taking sacks, or is that at LSU last year with two true freshman offensive tackles? When he was at Arizona State, I don't think he was um, as prone to it, but his numbers were still not, I would say, um, adequate. So this is what I'm looking at, pressure to sack ratio. How often does the pressure, pressure result in a sack? Um, anything above 30 is in the danger zone. Against his hardest opponents, it was near 60%. Yeah. But isn't that skewed a little bit just because he likes to run? Yes. I mean, he likes to run just to space, but right. like, he cannot erase. And, of course, yeah. that's a major trait people are looking at the next level. I mean, that's why Will Levis's – I almost said Rogers again. Will Levis's size was so appealing just because, like, you think, oh, he's durable. He can just run through those big defensive linemen and keep plays alive, even though he didn't really have the best track record at that at UK. People like to dream. But Jaden Daniels, even though he is a 6'3 guy, he is slight. He's only like 200 pounds. Um, his run tackle or his <laughs> breaking tackle ability in the run game is definitely way more effective on design keeps. So zone read, guy keeps. He's got a full head of steam, and the safety's going to have to come down to make a play, making that guy miss as opposed to a normal box player just because of his physicality. But still, very efficient, high floor, even though the ceiling not, might not be that great. Mm -hmm. You know what you're going to get. He's safe. He doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't throw it into harm's way too much. And still, when they're trying to, I would say, optimize his style of play, one of the big emphasis from LSU this spring was getting better at yards after the catch, which, of course, yeah. would make sense. Well, it's also very astute to see that um, – they had the second lowest yak average within the SEC last year. So it's a very clear area of opportunity and I think a very nice step for that offense. And then after him. You haven't even mentioned KJ. I'm, I'm going to have say, John Neighbors push you in the say, head right here. I was about here. to say, your boy KJ Jefferson, who is the only player returning within this conference who's top three in both passing first down touchdown rate and rushing first down touchdown rate. Now talk about a true dual threat guy. Now, you like to bring up the Mike Leach quote, you don't want to recruit inaccurate quarterbacks. Well, you're going to hate what I'm going to have to say. Uh, even though his catchability is fantastic, so even though it might not be accurate perfectly in stride, it's still in a guy's catch radius. Very catchable ball. But in terms of premier accuracy against his hardest opponent, so one of my duties this offseason for on three was charting some of the best returning quarterbacks and determining the most impactful. Of the top 30, he had the worst Depth-adjusted accuracy. So that is weighted accuracy. Um, the further the pass travels beyond the line of scrimmage, it's more risk-reward as opposed to just the static yes-no, is it accurate or not. So that's awfully concerning. Even though he does give his guys a decent amount of opportunities to make the play, he's just kind of scatterbrained. Of course, that's been – or a scatter shot, I should say, which has obviously had a lot of people – 
including me, a little reserved in what he could do at the next level. Right now, obviously, like I mentioned, very efficient, getting results. This is result business. I think he's absolutely going to be a major catalyst. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting, in my opinion, that Arkansas had the highest run rate within the conference on early downs, even with him in the fold. So they did bring in some pass catchers in the transfer portal. Some guys I really like, Andrew Armstrong. Hmm. He's going to be a big dominated kid. lower level. Yes, th that's the concern. Will that translate? I think it does moderately. I don't think he's going to be an all SEC type of player, but I do think he could be a potentially an undrafted free agent type of talent at the next level. Potentially be the tr the Traylon Burks role, where you can use him in spacing stuff underneath with motions. Of course, Dianenos coming from Maryland. Um, one of the things that tr like. Big carryover are those tight end flats and um, slide routes. Yeah. So if you're using him in those roles, in addition to those one-on-one -on -one shot plays, which they're usually orchestrated that way, they're not RPOs, uh, I think he can be absolutely effective. It's just KJ's down-to-down -down accuracy. I'm just a little bit uh, hesitant to say he's going to be one of the better ones in the, in the conference. So why do you think so many people, and it, I mean, I guess they're just idiots, but they think KJ is not a good quarterback. You're not... No. I mean, what the he's, hell are they seeing? He's smarter than you think. And I don't say that likely. Like, when you hear him talk, he knows what, what he's talking about. And it's it's delivered in a way, so matter of fact, where, oh, it's just second nature talking about this. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the big knock playing in the Bryle system, oh, it's a quarterback-friendly scheme, a lot of screens, RPOs, and play actions, really scheming opens. Well, again, when you're looking at passing floor, when you're getting all that stuff away from someone's profile and you're just trying to see how they operate within structure, Adjusted net passing yards per attempt was the highest returning in the conference. So he absolutely can get it done. And I think just because there's going to be a, a decent amount of continuity and where he can take that next level running a more pro-style scheme, sure, there's going to be RPO. And it, it, it's college. There's going to be some schemey stuff, yeah. but there's going to be more translatable concepts towards the next level in this offense, in my opinion. You ever seen The Hangover? And Who uh, has he's coming down, and he's got all them graphs going over. That's my brain trying to keep up with this conversation. <laughs> I feel like I'm with Rain Man over here. Uh, hey, I want to ask you, since you – I mean, you're dialed in, brother. South Carolina, this offense, got yeah. a new coordinator. Yeah. What, what do you – for those that that may not know, what is what is this logging style you think is going to look like uh, there in South Carolina? Um, it's anyone's guess because, yes, he's coming from Arkansas, the, the Kendall Brile stuff, but he has such a pedigree working in the pros. It's just how much carryovers are going to be. In my opinion, I think a lot of the same concepts are going to remain, particularly on the ground. It has not really been a major secret that Beamer wants to be physical, yeah. wants to play bully ball, and there is no uh, surprise that their top two run concepts are duo dive, man, <laughs> double team play at the point of attack, and counter, the classic hard-nosed misdirection play. So that speaks volumes. I still think that's going to maintain. But, of course, like we Do saw they got the line to keep running? I don't think so. Yeah. That's the thing. running backs. I mean. Dead last last yeah. year in rush yard before contact. And uh, two years ago, or oh, three years ago, they were also bottom five. Oh, no, it was last year. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. So last two years, bottom five in rush yards before contact. And defensively in SEC play, only Vanderbilt has a worse defensive success rate. So it's amazing. He has a 15-11 and 11 <laughs> record, my friends. Amazing. But to get the best out of Spencer Rattler with the new scheme, you just have to optimize his style of play. Sure, he was he kind of 
flirted with check down Charlie uh, yeah. territory last year. Well, I think he, we it, blame that on Satterfield. Yeah, uh, that's I, what everyone does. I want to say only Will Rogers had a lower average depth of target. Um, and even though, yeah, uh, we did see the explosiveness from Rattler. It's just what type of guy we're we going to get. Are we going to get a guy who's just reckless YOLO ball or a guy who's more prudent? We saw this with Bo Nix last year, of course, playing against eight defenses that finished in the triple digits. And expected points added per pass mm-hmm. will do wonders for anyone's yeah. passing bottom line. And I don't think uh, Rattler's going to have that. But still, we saw those toolsy guys who might have had a little bit of red flags on their resume. That extra year, that COVID year, you, you, there's immense value there for Rattler in this game. Why, considering why, the, wide why the change, though? I, I mean, again, he it, it felt like confidence. At, at times yes. during the season last year, and then all of a sudden it, it, it clicked. Is that what you think it was? Or um, Well, I have heard stories, and again, these are rumors. I don't want to put too much weight behind them, but it explains a lot if they are true. So I've heard from multiple people, like, late in the week, they're, like, ripping up their game plan, and they're trying to install new stuff. That's really hard to do in college. Yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, hey, man, I got a Finex exam on Wednesday, and I, <laughs> I, I, I planned how to play against Tennessee one way. Well, yeah. bad example. I, I learned how to play against Missouri <laughs> one way, and then you're telling me I have to completely – Right. With very limited practice rest, mind you, until Saturday. So yeah. um, you look at that Florida game, that was one of the most dysfunctional things oh, yeah. I had ever seen in my life. We had two linemen – pull and hit each other like that was just incredible <laughs> incredible um so i think That's just a clip. No. <laughs> <laughs> so i just think getting more week-to-week continuity talking about like ripping up the game plans and unique plays and yeah. what do i mean by unique plays this play was run one time and that's it i'm right. not really i'm not i don't care about like what formation it came out of i'm talking just true concepts um only a third of their plays were repeats. Last thing for you, Clark. Really appreciate your time. We were joking earlier about the uh, all-SEC ballot that will be coming out. You know, yes, Friday they'll announce the teams. A player or two that the numbers say should be all-SEC that has little to no chance of being on that final list. It's easy to go through the guys that are no-brainers that will be on the list, but does anybody stand out to you that – really should be getting more recognition, in, at least in the preseason, that is probably getting no to little love? I love Dwight McLaughlin at Arkansas. He mm-hmm. is a big corner. He's been one of the best guys each of the last two years in ball hawk rate. So on a per-target basis, how often are you disrupting that pass, either with an interception or a breakup or whatever? He's been consistently good about that, and that is a very impactful position. Of course, when you're playing with a lot of guys in the back end like Arkansas likes to do, of course, Barry Odom's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. We have to keep an eye on how that defensive aggressive the aggressiveness of the defense adjusts because they've been more passive, come to us, and we'll rally. So that puts a lot more pressure on the guys in the back end to make those plays in those situations. So um, right now he is cornerback five, I think, in our impact ratings within the conference. But he's a guy who I just keep looking at like he needs to be talked up a lot more because guys like Rakestraw, uh, Abrams Brains, Marcus Dial, uh, Jason Marshall, a lot of people have their favorite corner, yeah. but not a lot of people are talking about Dwight McLaughlin, and I think he's certainly in the conversation for being a day one, if not a day two pick, if everything clicks this year. Yeah. All right, Clark, before you go, can you tell the audience where to find all your work? Hi, audience. I'm Clark Brooks. You can find me at, <laughs> at SEC underscore StatCat on Twitter. You can also visit my awesome, awesome website, SECStatCat.com, where you can see past charts, concept breakdowns, one-on-one videos if you're not necessarily sure 
what a stick concept is, you can watch a two-minute video and, and download that, run into your brand and become a little bit more informed. Of course, you can see uh, tables that you can chart, filters where you can do things down by the route, by the down, by what <laughs> field, where you are in the field, a whole lot of resources and a treasure trove for casual fans and degenerates alike. So be sure to check that out. And, of course, the parent company, On3.com, we're growing fast, and we are just completely passionate trying to provide all the best coverage we can around the SEC and across all of college football. I appreciate you, Clark. Thank you. Appreciate what, you all. What day of the week was July 12, 1982? A Tuesday? No, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the show, another Mondo show. I'm trying to these are difficult to put together with this this much. I swear, this is the only week of the year we're going to be doing this. But uh, <laughs> I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out, hanging in there with all this information being thrown at you. Just trying to get your uh, get you locked in for football season. And I don't want any of these interviews to go to waste because they are all so great, so much information and so entertaining a lot of them so i really appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one which will be our final sec media days rewind episode before we get into fall camp which has already started in nashville starting this weekend at several schools in the sec i can't wait Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.